Welcome to the Jonah Carey Podcast, friends. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's guest, Adnan Verk. Adnan, one of the best broadcasters in America. A friend, a great dude. We chatted. This was the night right in at the beginning of all or the beginning of All Star Week, I guess you could say that Sunday night. I flew in, I went right to his hotel. It was very late and we spoke for a long time. He was trying to beat Keith Olbermann's uh, all-time record for longest Jonah Carey podcast, and I think he might have succeeded even after a couple of um, uh, short edits that we had to make. So kudos to Adnan for the new being the new record holder. Uh, it was great. We chatted until like I don't know two or two thirty in the morning and got a little loopy toward the end. But it was you know it was a real talk. We talked about um, you know uh, journalism and uh, ESPN. By the way, uh, I, I meant this in the podcast, but just to say it again. Uh, what a great dude Adnan is. When I came into um, the Baseball Tonight studio and to kind of get it going, I'd never done it before, and he made me feel welcome. And I would do these uh, 1.30, 2.30 in the morning shows, sometimes me and him, me, him and Glanville, me, him and Eddie Perez, me, him and Alex Cora, and it was always great. Uh, wonderful, wonderful human being and a terrific broadcaster. Uh, baseball Tonight, as well as college football, and he was also the host of the Cinephile Podcast, which you should check out if you're a film fan. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then is a massive film fan, especially Scorsese. And uh, yeah, we got into all that good stuff on this conversation, so I hope you enjoy it. Also, let us discuss today's sponsor, friends. That is SeatGeek. SeatGeek, a longtime sponsor of the Jonah Carey Podcast, and they're fantastic. The best place to buy or sell tickets to anything, a game, a concert, whatever you could possibly want. I have used them many times for baseball games and hockey games and concerts, and they've never steered me wrong. Analytically based, so... You know I love that. The idea is basically it's like a color-coded map. It amalgamates all kinds of different ticket sites. And then you're, say, going to a baseball game. Okay, maybe it's the upper deck that's the best ticket or behind home plate or the bleachers or whatever. They make it easy. Uh, they make it fast. It's fantastic. And even better, download the free SeatGeek app. Go to the settings tab. Enter promo code. If you enter the promo code Jonah, that's J-O-N-A-H, SeatGeek will give you a $20 rebate off of your first purchase. Fan-freaking-tastic. Again, Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, enter promo code, promo code Jonah, J-O-N-A-H. And after you complete your first purchase with SeatGeek, you will get a $20 rebate for anything that you could possibly be wanting to go to. So that is awesome. Thank you to SeatGeek for sponsoring the podcast. As always, we appreciate you. Very quick programming notes. CBS Sports, of course, is the hub. Doing lots of stuff for <coughs> CBS, excuse me, including my Carry the 10 column every Friday. So you can check that out. Did a recent column on a uh, feature on the Rockies. Some more features coming down the pike too. I've been working on some longer term stuff that's, uh, pretty fun. I hope you enjoy all that. Uh, SI.com, also my power rankings this week, the 30. You can check that out. I wrote for the Athletic this week about Blue Jays broadcast, uh, broad, yeah, prospects, including Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You know, I love Vladdy. And uh, also a piece for sportsnet.ca. I'm doing a mailbag uh, as well on the Blue Jays. And, uh, yeah, you never know what the future will hold. Lots of other cool stuff coming down the pike, including more fun podcasts that you will dig as well. In the meantime, here is the latest episode of the Jonah Carey Podcast with Adnan Verk of ESPN. Enjoy.
So I'm gonna end, and uh, I'm gonna recline. And this is a really fucking. Hotel <laughs> how, by the way, how great is this? Two old friends catching up in my hotel room at 11:30 at night to an all-star week. Fontainebleau. Fontainebleau. Beach. So, first of all, I wanted to just wear a bathrobe and really scare Jonah. This guy, you know, I'd be flattered. It's great. <laughs> Did you ever see the Larry Sanders show? You know, it's one of my favorite shows. Yes, I do know that. The Duchovny episode, the last episode, where Shanling goes, he wants Duchovny on, and Duchovny is just wearing a bathrobe. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's doing the Sharon Stone basic instinct. <laughs> <laughs> Hysterical. I should have done that. Would have been great. I roll up to the hotel yeah. in my rented Nissan Sentra. <laughs> Everybody else has a Lotus, or or maybe Lotus is the low end. This place is bananas. It's bananas. People get out of their cars. They're either wearing an Armani suit yeah. or a bikini. It's, by the way, 1030 at night. Right. Keep in mind. Uh, Humidity never ceases either. Like, it's 80 and humid outside. Right? Oh, it was horrible when I got off the plane. I, was, I flew straight here from Canada. It was People cross us all. Oh, how can Canadians? I can deal with the cold. How can you deal with this crap? Are you are you, you can wear... Layers for the cold. Right. I can't be less than naked. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a great art film. (laughs) So, you know, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, I walk into the hotel, and uh, you know, like, I got here a little early, whatever. Yeah. I I say like, can I get a burger? Like, I need dinner. So they're in. Right. They go, yeah. So I go downstairs. Uh, the burgers are like $112. Let me really, seriously, I want to know the real amount. How much did the burger $22. Twenty-two dollars. This is not to Harvey's Burgers that you and I. Harvey's great. By the way, this is a burger. Harvey's is terrific. By the way, makes your hamburger a beautiful thing. So what is that? What is uh, this? Is I don't give a about. When we went to Harvey's, yeah, the thing about Harvey's was, was, but you know, half a step above McDonald's or Burger King. Yes. But the notable thing was they would. It was like it was like being at Subway. Like they would. You'd ask them what do you want, and you'd stand there, and they'd put shit on your burger. Yeah. And they had the pickles. And they had the pickle spears were like twice the size of burger. Yeah. And so what I would do, my friends did this too, you get like a pickle on your burger and then you get like 14 pickle spears. Because when you're 15 and, you know, you're Why broke, right. you don't have any sustenance, you're like, I want all your pickles. Right. Give me all your pickles. It seems like, it seems Give like, me all your God. It seems like that's the move. My um, mom loves Harvey's. I was back home. It was her birthday, April 12th. Do they still live near, near Kingston? Uh, no, they're actually now in Maple. So okay. An hour out of down, downtown Toronto. And I said, Mom, where do you want to go? She said, I want to go to Harvey's. I hadn't had a Harvey's burger in like 10 years. Amazing. Delicious still. Amazing. Well, I, I think that we're, we're going to bounce around a bunch, but one of my favorites, obviously. <laughs> How many obviously. people have we lost? I thought they were going to talk analytics. <laughs> the hell is this? The analytics thing, you know this, is, is a front. I, I, I don't know any knowledge of it. There's, there are the so producers many... producers of, of, of Baseball Tonight and whatever other shows figure out that I'm, in fact, a fraud. They feed me lines, and I'm very good at remembering This them. is not true. I what, hate what, analytics. What is interesting about you, there's many interesting things about you. Hard-boiled eggs are one thing. No, yeah, but that's what I want to say. I'm like, I'm shocked you had a burger this time of night. You're such a healthy guy. Don't oh, like no, they changed because now I lift a lot, like a lot, and so I actually need calories. It completely changed. When I was working there, yeah, I was lean. trying to be fit, but now I just, like, my metabolism is all sped up because, like, I, I work out every day. That's great. Wait, what caused this change? Has y'all got in your face a little bit? The twins are like, come on, dad, shape up. Hey, fatty. Uh, no. Because you told me, I was like, what's with the hard-boiled eggs? You're like, hey, man, I'm just vain. Like, what do you want me to tell you? Oh, yeah, I didn't want to gain weight, but now I started losing weight. I was working out so much, I was losing weight. This is the most first-world problem of all time. I love this. Yeah, but anyway, it was a good burger. Uh, oh, so what I was going to say was, uh, well, you started to say what, what the interesting thing about me was. In the oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm going to 
You are not, because this is what happens in our field. People just go, oh, is this what you dreamed of? And they go, oh, John Akira, just a hardcore baseball nerd. Which is not to say you don't love baseball, appreciate it, understand it in yes. ways that many do not. Basketball is number one. Yes. I was like, deep down, Jonah Carey wants to be covering the Warriors and what's going on with this team versus the Cavs, NBA free agency. Like, you must, and we've discussed this, you start losing sports fandom and it's not your fault. And we, remember you said to me, hockey, you go, dude, now that I live in Denver, I just can't follow the habits. Yeah. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Come on, get the NHL package, it's fine. But it's true, you have actual work, you have a family, you have responsibilities, and you go, you know what? I just can't, I don't have the time. I think that's right. Well, okay, so here's an obvious question. Right. Your career starts today. Right. You have ultimate leverage, and anybody will hire you for anything that you want. Right. Anything you want. Would you go into film kind of stuff? Would you be like the, I don't know about the host of the Oscars, but like the right. big film person? Or would you be a sports guy? Because well, I know you love both. Right, that's the thing. It's so funny because, you know, I started, I've been at ESPN seven years now. Wow. And I used to always yeah, just get right. tweets and comments about sports, this and that. You visit family members, or they just, it's always sports conversations. And now the pendulum has swung so far. Like, I'm dying for someone to ask me, hey, what do you think about the Diamondbacks? But, like, my Twitter, it's just all movies. Just, it is. It's, it's, it's night and day. Now, listen, I'm appreciative that people actually care about my opinion on film. Yeah. But I wish there was a happy medium, because, like you said, I do love both. And that's why I think I'm fortunate that I'm able to do both. I can be a sportscaster who's also this movie geek who has a podcast called Cinephile, which I yeah. do for ESPN, and I can still go to the Oscars because Ben Lines is the best. And by the way, you have never ben had a guest. some pretty decent friends. Yeah, like he's, he's, he's such a good guy. Like he's a genuinely I sweet person. I had him on my podcast, and you texted me immediately. Nobody has listened to your podcast as far as guests more than me. I know! Like, like listen. I love ben, your texts. Ben Lyons, Pete Rosenberg, Carl Ravitch, Prime Minister Trudeau, that's right, you're a Rosenberg guy, too. Love yeah. Rosenberg. He well, gave great I, I advice didn't know about his mystique, like I, that he's yeah. a huge deal in wrestling, that Hot 97, is Hot 97? Is that what yes, Hot 97. It's problem. a huge, like, you right. know, someone recommended you should talk to this guy, Pete Rosenberg, who, by the way, was phenomenal. Oh, hysterical. But guy. I just didn't know. I love the fact, you must get this, too. People do this, they typecast Jews. Everyone thinks Rosenberg is rich just because he's Jewish. No. No. Right? He said that in the podcast, because that's yeah. always the joke. People are like, oh, yeah, Rosenberg, he's, yeah, he's rich, yeah. Oh, he's got money. And I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> what a ridiculous stereotype. It, it, was, it was very strange. It was very strange. But uh, yes, I have listened to so many of these, and I give you feedback. So the fact we're actually doing this, I don't know who I'm going to have to requisition to give feedback on this podcast. Well, I, well we're, we're already scattershot all over the place. I'm going to outsource this to, like, Mike Bonzani, Baseball Tonight Research. I love Bonds. We all miss you at Baseball Tonight. You know uh, that. You know... All right, so we're going to talk about baseball tonight for a bit. So we'll, we'll get back to biographical stuff. Sure. First of all, I think that I want to give people some insight into the way the show like this works. Because I think that if you're just a fan or whatever, yeah. for us, it's like, all right, you show up at the building, you do a 2 a.m. show, and you leave. <laughs> two and a hook, buddy. Two and a hook. <laughs> and, but I think that from an outsider point of view, the idea that there are these shows, and, and MLB Network is the same, and now the two entities are kind of which we're going to get into as well. Right. But, um... This idea that you go into a green room at like six o'clock, you have a meeting, right. and then you sit with like future Hall of Famers or, and or very good players and watch baseball for six hours, yeah, and then go do a show is bonkers. Like it's bonkers. I just grew up a sports fan. It's like all the you know Mulder. I remember Mulder the first time I did a show with him. And I've told this story before. I'm just sitting next to him, and some guy throws this great pitch. And and I, I made I I didn't even mean to make a comment. I just kind of explained something aloud. And he goes, right. "Oh no, that's a back foot slider. That means that that's not even the best pitch he's setting up for this thing." It's exactly what happened. Like exactly what happened. Right. And and the level of 
expertise always floors me. And you and I would have conversations about, and I've actually talked to Ravi about this a little bit too, what is your role versus their role? Because they have so much knowledge in a way that you and I don't have. Like your skill set's different than mine, and both of us don't have anything like this. So when you're first introduced to these studio shows, how are you trying to harness all this craziness? Because, man, like, it's so much. They just offer... I just am not used to this kind of environment where, like, ultimate knowledge is sitting right to my left, and I have to not step on them, and also... And I'm not even the host, and I'm trying to provide a different perspective. Ever Mike McQuaid, who used to be our boss on Baseball Tonight, yeah. he said to me when I first got on BBTN, because he used to oversee it, and he goes, you know, these guys that you're with, they have a PhD in baseball. Yeah. There's nothing they don't know that they haven't seen. And you, as much as you may love the sport, you're, you're not even an ounce of knowledge compared to these guys. He said, but you have a PhD in television. They mm-hmm. don't understand B-roll, thoughtful, you know, making a quick comment, being succinct, going to, like, they have no idea what they're talking about. And Mike said this, because I always felt like, well, I'm not that important. Like, the, the keys are, the analysts are number one at any show. Yes. Producers are vastly underrated. They're critical, because they're putting together the show. And those are some good-ass producers on right. the show. Production, yeah, Greg Colley, Justin Havens, those guys are the best. The and research, they all came up as PAs, by the way. Right. I Researchers are unreal. But probably my favorite people, because I'm like, they're my offensive line. Shout out to little John little. Fisher, uh, Mike Benzani, Sarah Langs, all of them. And Krista and all the... the right. All that. Yeah, and Krista and Allie and all them. They're yeah. putting together these wonderful set pieces, yeah. montages, etc. It's an army. So I always felt like I was really irreplaceable, because I'm like, what, what am I doing? Like, I'm just kind of delivering the mail, so mm-hmm, to speak. Mm-hmm. But Mike said this to me, he goes, but you're the most important to the analysts because they don't know what they're really doing in terms of television. <laughs> and they're not looking at the producer the way you are. They're looking at you yeah. because you're out there with them. Yeah. So even though in your head you're like, no, it's it's Collie and Havens and those guys are on the show. He goes, no, no, they're looking at you because they go, well, I, I don't know what this guy, where this disembodied voice is in my ear. What right. does this mean? So they're just looking at you for anything. So he said that level of trust, that's the most important thing you can do. If you can just have a rapport with those guys a trust in the chemistry. And that doesn't mean you can't disagree with them. It doesn't mean you can't challenge them. Right. If anything, think about your good friends. All your buddies back in Montreal, the reason you guys get along is because you can be honest with them. Mm-hmm. And that's what you hope to have, that honesty, that authenticity. But I've always thought that you're trying to be a facilitator. My goal, like you said, when we're watching games together, is just to listen. Just try to pick apart what they're saying. So when somebody makes an offhand comment, when Eddie Price says nothing about Nolan Arenado, I'm going to know later on on the air what he thinks about Arenado. And I can ask Tim Kirkshen about something because he says Machado's got a better arm than Brooks Robinson. And I go, you can't you actually think that? He's like, yeah, absolutely. Say that on air. And say that on air. And that's the biggest challenge is that, <laughs> like you still always say, we had guys who are like all green room guys who will say anything and insult whoever they I've want. i Dallas Braden's stories. Right. And, and I love Dallas. Right, he's the best. But like, he's going to let it fly. Yeah. And then on the air, well, hang on a second. I'm going to, you know, interest him in myself. Yeah. And Dallas is, is a free spirit and he doesn't care. Yeah. But everybody cares to some extent. You, yeah. you can't say the whole unvarnished truth, but we want to take you as far to the edge of the cliff as possible. But there's that trust issue. So, I don't know, man. I, I really think, you know, there's great anchors who are great outputters and they're great entertainers. And Stuart Scott, the late Stuart Scott, great yeah. example of that. Like, Stu is the show. Yeah. Nothing's bigger than Stu, you know. Van Pelt is the show. Yeah. Neil Everett's the show. Like, those are the guys that you're watching for. With me, no one's watching for me, and that's fine because the ones who kind of really are in the know, they have the best idea of what my value is, whatever that may be, in terms of making everybody else shine. 
Well, that's interesting. Did you come into the industry thinking maybe I can be like a Stu Scott? Or yeah. Or did you come in as a facilitator? No, absolutely. So you I just figure out that you're going to play the complimentary role? Exactly. Eventually you kind of figure out, you go, all right, what, what am I actually best at? Yeah. And I'm not a leading man. You know, for better or for worse, I'm not the guy that people are going to tune into. No. Nope. Cazal. <laughs> exactly. Cazal. Right. Think, and then I think, Five in a row. Well, right. Think, yeah, one of the greatest pretty actors ever. Yeah. And then I think about my, some of my favorite actors. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Paul Giamatti, you know, William H. Macy. Those guys are scene stealers. You yeah. put them in any movie, and they're the best part of it, even if they're only in it for 20 minutes. That's Obviously, those guys have done lead roles, too. But you understand my point is that there can be joy in being somebody who is not always the lead banana. And, listen, I wish I was Keith Olbermann. Like, I admire and revere Keith. Because, yeah. like, whenever Keith's on, he's the show. He's the star. Nobody's getting in his way. But I, I kind of... As I did it, realized I was not the lead banana, and that's okay because I can still have a role, and like I said, I can still hopefully be of value. Well, the key thing is so interesting too because when that show, which I really like that show, oh, great show, the, nothing I've had ever had more fun in my career filling in for Keith, and that's it. And so that's what I was going to ask you is, you know, you you, fa- you fancy yourself a second banana, you're literally replacing the guy, the iconoclast, you know, right. that he'll be out and whatever, and you'll do a guest hit, right? I watch those shows like. You let it fly. I mean, you become... <laughs> right. Uh, you get seized by the... Because you have to. There's no sidekick or whatever. So right. just, is it just that? You're going to play I, the role? But I honestly think, Jonah... It, honestly, I think if you're just filling in, it's easier to let it fly. Like, there's something to be said for... If you do what Keith does and carry it five days a week and be incisive and thoughtful and brilliant, I could never do that. But come in for 25 shows and you cherish those moments. Yeah. And again, great crew. Dave Sorosa, yeah, yeah, Michael yeah, yeah, and yeah. Jimmy Chris. Like, if you got stars around you... Again, they're all smarter than me. They Nobody can help these people's better. names. That's the, that's the core of ESPN. That's probably the core of any. No doubt. It's like the infrastructure, the people around you, like they are going to make you succeed. I, I never didn't know anything. I didn't do TV. They're just like, do this, do this. I'm like, okay, and then it worked. Right. Follow the people's advice. Yeah. We're probably smarter than you and me, and we'll get through somehow. Like eventually I'll get found out, but it won't be until years from now, and I'll be living in Algonquin. Uh, I love the fact, there's so many little moments or whatever, but... One thing that always got me was you'd show up in the green room, you're a very chipper guy, you show how you're doing, right. we do our little impressions of everybody and stuff, <laughs> lots of impressions, lots of impressions, and and sometimes you bring Canadian candy. Right. Maybe you were at home, maybe somebody brought it to you or whatever, and everybody's looking at you like, well, I don't know what this shit is, and I'm like, <gasps> it's coffee, Chris, oh my god, it's the best thing ever. It was, I, I even if you were the biggest world, I would like you because you brought me goddamn coffee for This is a big thing. There, there's so much I miss about Canada, and you and I wave the flag as much as anybody. Big time. In terms of Canadians in the States. Your, your rating system on Twitter for, for films is literally how many Maple Leafs. Right, which Steve Cerruti gave me, who's one of the producers Good. on uh, uh, Rosilla's show. He was like, yeah, I want you to do Maple Leafs. I'm like, done. Yeah. And I remember David Amber, who's a good friend and a wonderful broadcaster, huge mentor for me, invaluable help. He had said to me when I started at ESPN, because Dave worked there for eight years, and I'd known him at TSN when I was a production assistant, Dave was on air. He goes, yeah, he goes, don't mention you're Canadian. And I said, why not? He goes, think about it. Like, Matt Devlin's American. Nobody wants to hear him mention how he's American when he's calling Raptors games. Jack Armstrong as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if Ron McLean was from Boston, like, nobody wants to hear that. Canadians want to hear Canadians. Similarly, Americans want to hear Americans. I was like, okay, it makes sense. And I completely ignored his perfectly excellent advice, because I just can't help myself. I'm like, we're just so proud of our roots, and I'll give Americans credit. There has been no backlash. I would have thought more people would say, hey, if you like Canada so much, say, get the hell out of here. But instead, everyone's like, oh, it's very endearing. Oh, he loves Canada. Oh, pro-Canada. Blame Canada. Like, I, I'm always amazed that Americans don't act with more hostility. Now, I asked a friend of mine, he goes, well, that's because Americans view Canadians on such a lower level. <laughs> oh, it's another little charming, these cute people up north. Oh, yes. 
Mike Myers, so funny. So he goes, they don't find it um, threatening, I suppose. But don't you agree, if, if an American is in Canada constantly mentioning, oh, I love the 4th of July, it's the best holiday, Canadians would be outraged. Yes. We'd be, be furious. Like, we have an inferiority complex. And, that's what, and I've said that, and the Canadians get mad. I go, listen, I'm, I'm not knocking us. That's who we are. But let's face it, we're 30 million, they're 300 million. We consume U.S. film, U.S. TV, U.S. culture, all that stuff. How we dress, how we are, all that stuff. I'd love to tell you Corner Gas is a great show, but Kirby Enthusiasm is funnier. <laughs> yes. Like Little Mosque in the Prairie or Seinfeld. Like, sorry, I'm going to make the better choice. <laughs> I like, right, I like David Cronenberg as much as the next guy, but I'll take Scorsese. Like, come on. Americans do better with these things. There, there's two things. One, the second thing that I'm going to get to is we're going to go round about, but the first thing is, yeah. that's very interesting about the Canadian thing down here. Yeah. I, you know, we're in an era where you can kind of make your own way. You can make your own brand. It's a little different with ESPN because, I mean, honestly, if you get too big, there's always a possibility that you have to leave ESPN because right. of whatever. But, um, you know, generally speaking, we're all establishing our own identity. And if you are a generic five foot eleven white guy from Michigan mm-hmm. or whatever, like, it's you got to kind of make your bones a little bit. Mm-hmm. The Canada thing, and I never set out to do this on purpose as a branding thing. It's just me. I think it's it's authentic. It's just you. But it's the case that it's like, oh, you're Canada boy, and that plays. Like people like it, yes. whether I'm on TV, whether I'm writing or whatever. Obviously, I have this defunct baseball team. That's a whole other <laughs> level of mystique. By the way, Tim Raines killed it in Celebrity Softball. And every he had a run. Every, he was nervous. He thought he was going to like strike out and shit. No, he had two home runs. In oh, he had two one, home in, runs. In one inning alone. Was he the MVP? Uh, he was not, but he made a strong case for it. And, and every time I see him, I Ooh, just... Who better than that? I, I just picture your face every time well, I see him. Well, because it airs race. tomorrow. But you can right. tell me. We're not airing. We're yeah, not. William Levy is unreal. He's this uh, Latin Levy. star who is so hot, by the way. I was like... Uh, he's People Magazine on Espanol, Sexiest Man Alive. He's one of like... As in Bombs. As in I'm like, this guy is wow. winning at life. Nice. I want to see him. I'm like, God, how hot are you? And you're great at baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I saw his wife. She's gorgeous. I'm like, my God, this guy's living life. That's fantastic. But Rock Reigns, I think of you. And I love the fact that he always mentions you. Like, this isn't just like my buddy Tim Reigns, my buddy Jim. No, no. Like, you got, he is fully aware that you are incredibly responsible for him being at the Hall of Fame. Like, think of that service you've done for it, this it, man. It's, it's, it's very nice when he says that he's in, in, invariably gracious. I feel slightly uncomfortable when people say, no, what you say? Well, sure. in general, because I didn't hit any home runs and do any, I didn't steal any bases and I didn't do any of that stuff. And, like, I, I just, I'm happy to, if I help, that's great, but, like, I'm, More than help. You bang that drum. 385 OBP, 808 steals. Sure. This guy's a stud. And people weren't paying attention to Montreal. Those numbers now, people appreciate them more. Yeah. Like, if you did not, like, seriously, you were, like, on a crusade. And I'd, like, bring it out, like, I'd be on the air, we'd be doing some 1 a.m. show with the Baltimore Orioles, and be like, yeah, remember the time that Reigns and his son played with the Orioles in 2001? It's like, that's great, buddy. We're talking about Manny Machado right now. No, but listen, John Fisher, one of the researchers, is like, man, listen, I like you and Jonah, but there's a lot of Canada crap when you guys are together. Like, jeez, man. producers do that? I guess Colin. Well, Colin, everybody You guys in the Canada, like, shut up, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then that just encourages us to do more. Yeah, but we'd have, like, you know, it's late at night, it'd be like, me, you, and one other person. The other person, I don't care who it is, Glanville or whoever, like, they have no chance. No chance. <laughs> Alex Cora is just Alex Cora was not. <laughs> Alex unfollowed me on Twitter. I don't blame him. Really? Yeah, it's nothing bad or whatever. What is that about? I don't know. I'll ask him. I, he texts me all the time. I love Alex. Astros. I was excited. I take that incredibly personally. Darren Ravel unfollowed me on Twitter, and I, I blasted him on the radio, and he called in, goes, yeah, you're right, it's a little too much movie talk for me, but I'll give you another chance. I'm like, okay, well. I'm not offended at all. I once unfollowed a How friend. How can you not just mute him? That's fine. 
You can't. You don't need to unfollow the guy. Just mute him, then he'll never know. I unfollowed a friend of mine at one point because he, like, he was a friend of mine. He wasn't in the industry or anything like that, and he got really mad at me. He goes, "What are you doing? Like, are we friends or not? Like, <laughs> you don't, you know, I follow sports people, politics people. You like, you're an investment banker in Boston or whatever. You're a lovely guy. We've gone to Celtics games together, but like, whatever. He's like, you have to refollow him. Well, what, what was he tweeting about that was so uh, it was obnoxious? Just like, no, it wasn't obnoxious at all. It was just like I didn't. It was I don't use TweetDeck. Like I'm, I Russian roulette Twitter. I'm the yeah. weirdest guy. Yeah, yeah. And I'm often on the web. I'm not always on my phone either. In fact, I'm right. often not on my phone. Right. And so it's just like it's a lot of people to follow, and right? I'm going to okay. prune it out. Of just a took a lot of people. All yeah. Right. It was it was uh, strange. Social oh yeah. Social media is so strange. Yeah, it's God. Well, and okay, so <laughs> we have other things, but. This is going to be a three-hour It might be. It's, it's going to get late. See, What's your okay. longest one you've done? Well, over was great. Two parts, Thank two and you. a half hours. It wasn't going to be two parts. Oh, thankfully, you gave me a shout-out when he started, like, I don't want to, like, misquote Keith, but he was basically saying, like, you know, the best has, has passed at ESPN, and he gave, like, a five-minute answer, and, of course, he's brilliant and yeah, very articulate. Yeah. God love you. Then you're like, okay, I understand what you're saying, but I've never worked late 30s. I like, think he's pretty good. He's like, no, no, of course. I know he's good. Yes. Of course he's good. I'm like, I don't care. I mean, look, but it's not just that he knows you. Right. You're literally co-guest hosting his show. I, mean, I don't think there can be a higher compliment that Keith Olbermann thinks I do a good job. Absolutely. Right? Like, think about that. Like, he's, I understand people find him polarizing, don't yeah, like, yeah, yeah. whatever. But I'm like, somebody said to me who does not like his work, a friend of mine said to me, he goes, I don't care for him. I find him just over the top. Yeah, yeah. Great. But he goes, you watch him for 20 seconds, and you go, this guy's brilliant at his job. Like, he was born for this. It's something about Period. its cadence. Right. Its pace. Writing. Mass writing. <laughs> writes his own shit. Right. Wrote his own soliloquies during Sports Center. No, people don't, you know. Right. Maybe you collab a little bit. Sure. But, and mastery of the subject matter. He's a polymath. He's a genius. You know, right. it's crazy. And he's doing this stuff that we're talking about as a Keith Oberman podcast, but like the GQ stuff, right. it's really good. You know, I, I mean, and, and maybe you're not on that side of the political aisle. Sure. So obviously, it's hard to say objectively that it's really good if you sure. don't. No, no, of course, if you don't buy into right. it. Right. But the point is, he's passionate about it, and and he brings it like every time. Like, man, the volcanic heat of Oberman. It's the it's, oratorical skills. It's an amazing thing, and, and you, you know. I guess you figured out what your role is going to be and all that. Right. But, you know, as somebody who just kind of dabbles in TV and still, you know, even though I'm not young, like, and maybe the future's in front of me and I don't know, like, I don't know what I am yet. And as an analyst, it's different or whatever. And sometimes I'll go on, like, I, I do Sportsnet stuff and I come right, I come on right after Jamie and so I'm with Jamie Campbell's on with Greg Zahn and Greg Zahn is like bombastic, like he's, you know, a little sure. bit of Don Cherry. Don Cherry, yeah, yeah, with the Right, exactly. Stuff, yeah. The suits and all that. And, like, part of me wants to, like, played way down just to like on purpose make the comparison ridiculous right and part of me wants to bring it up and like I don't and I'm not trying to emulate him or do this or whatever but like you can kind of do whatever you want in a way as long as you bring the knowledge nobody really cares yeah as long as you're being an ass no no exactly and that's that's the key is that how can I disagree but do so in a lighthearted manner or in a non-threatening way and you are at heart one thing a smart ass (laughs) so so if you're not being Sneaky or sly or sarcastic, then you're not being you. And I would think if I was, you know, your life support coach, yes. if I saw you just kind of giving the information, I'm like, well, that's not what we're paying you for here, Jonah. Like, I, I, I'll take the goods and the numbers and whatever, yeah. but I want some sarcasm, I want some commentary. Whatever I want some your dicks. personality is, you express your personality. 100%. Well, in the first show that I ever did, which I talked about with Ravi. You hit the line one time about Willie Mays. It was, what did I say it was, about Willie, was Willie Mays? Mays, and you go, it, 
I think it was Bonds. It wasn't Bonds. I don't know. Some, uh, Ryan Braun, let's say. Yeah. I don't know why there's a shot of William Mays. You're like, oh, from one PED user to another. And they're like, you can't say that about William Mays. You're like, why not? He used PEDs. <laughs> he, he used amphetamines, which are performance-enhancing drugs. Right. I guess that would be a controversial thing to say. But Absolutely. it's accurate. Right. But a lot of people are like, no, oh, I wouldn't say that about William Mays. Say, uh, hey, kid, let what me. What are you going to do? Okay. I don't so care. Like, fire me. Whatever. I'll back up my <laughs> argument. Yeah. He used amphetamines. I guess that's true. Yeah, that's the thing is you sort of, you're in your, I, in my mind, I'm in this sphere of like analytical types and smart asses, other people, all like on Twitter, Keith whatever. Keith Law is great with this stuff. Sure. And so something you put us out of the general population and like, oh, okay, like what's going to happen now? Kind of, Which I guess is good for TV. You kind of want that. You have to. I remember trade deadline. It was when Cespedes went to the Mets, which ended up being a great trip. Yep. And Kirchner's raving about it and Jason Stark's raving about it. And Keith goes, I don't like it at all. And his numbers were great because he goes, you know what? He's got a good slugging percentage, but he's always had a low OBP. Yeah. He's actually an underachiever. I, I don't think it's going to work out. Now, it doesn't matter that it did work out because Keith took a stance which was opposite to the other guys, which yeah. is always good television, yeah. and he backed it up with good information. Yeah. Yeah, that and makes... it wasn't It wasn't right, but who cares? Yeah. No, well, right. You can't. You know, that's a prediction. That's a whole other thing. Right. No, I, I guess that makes a lot of sense and just kind of... There's nothing worse than if someone makes a... If Zon makes a comment, you go, I totally agree with you. Like, okay, like once in a while, that's fine. I'm not asking you to be disingenuous, but yeah. it's not great to lose you. Like, I couldn't agree more. Or if you're going to agree, right? then at least back him. You know, like, he's talking about Josh Donaldson. I'm like, well, yeah, Greg, and also, did you know this about Donaldson and some? Correct. Thing? You add to it supplemental material, yeah. Right. But well, imagine if you said something about you should trade Donaldson. You go, I couldn't agree more. Get rid of him. <laughs> great, okay. great. Thanks, Kerry. I think one of my early shows, I didn't do exactly that, but I didn't come in hard enough and ravage. Let me have it. He literally said something like, thanks, Gary. And you know what? Lesson learned. I fucking never did that again. Ravi is such a better host than me because he does not care. Like, and he But that makes him amazing! He does not care. Like, people hear a lot of time, oh, I gotta care. He doesn't care. Ravi will say whatever he wants. And, it, and I, there have been times... so do. Right, On exactly. studio shows. No question. In the past, a lot of hosts, deferential, oh, subservient. Yeah. yeah. Ravi's like, I don't give a damn. Like, I don't, are you kidding? You think that guy's that well, good? He's been there three times as long as anybody else. Right. And I think that obviously helps his credibility. But there there have been times, Kimmy Maniac just said something, and Ravi on the air goes, that's not what he said in the green room. Really? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, you can't do that. Hey, no. Yeah, I can. Why not? That's not what he said in the green room. I'm being honest. Let's go. You should be wearing a slow man. <laughs> I love the slow man. Manny's the best. Well, um, <laughs> Manny's such a good dude. You guys had a great chemistry. Well, the first time I met Manny, you're right, he was a third base coach from Montreal. The first time I met him, you know, normally I'm just like, nice to meet you. And I immediately said, wow, that's a really nice suit. Yeah. I, got, I get the, my suits in Montreal. It's the yeah, same place. still the same And guy. I grew up in Montreal. I'm like, I went to that place. I subsequently bought a suit. Yeah. And I look and there's a rack of suits. And they go, who are those from? They go, that's for Cliff Floyd. And I'm like, oh, apparently everybody in the world goes to this place. Right. If you spend 10 minutes in Montreal, then anyway, you go to this place. He would always, and we've never done this. I don't know why. He would always like look like, rather than just praise Montreal, he felt like he'd debase Toronto. And I was like, why can't you just say, they're both uh-huh. nice cities, but I prefer Montreal. But he'd be like, Montreal is the, oh, Montreal is fantastic. You know, those, those French Canadian girls, they can't <laughs> wait to get naked in the summer it's so goddamn cold Jesus. and he's like Toronto's just like an American city and it's just a big city whatever and I'm like why can't you just say Toronto's cold but I prefer Montreal but he wouldn't do that and you and I never I hear this oh Montreal's a rivalry Francophones I don't give a damn Like my friends and family have moved to Toronto a long time ago because <laughs> that's where the jobs are right like, I know, Montreal's a great city it is. Toronto's a great city. Vancouver's yeah, wonderful. Vancouver's Aesthetically wonderful. pleasant. Winnipeg is cold. Do you get it more in Vancouver if you go there? And if you say I'm from Montreal, they go, uh. I've only been to Vancouver once. Twice. I've been there twice. Once I ran a turkey trot on Thanksgiving, Canadian Thanksgiving. That was great. Yeah. Okay. Very nice. The other time I went, I was a counselor at a summer camp in the Okanagan Valley. Love the Okanagan. Beautiful. 
And we had like three days off. I didn't know anybody or know anything to do. And me and my buddy were both coming. He was a McGill's. He's a Torontonian at McGill. And I was also... Actually, there were two or three of us. And so, Sorry to interject, but people... Americans love this. What are the Ivy Leagues of Canada? I just say McGill. I don't go... Oh, my brother went to Queens. Simon Fraser, UFT. maybe. UFTA, right? Okay, those are the four. Good. McGill's yeah. always the first one I go, though. That's Harvard. Great. McGill's yeah. great school. I did not go to McGill. <laughs> Concordia. Let's go Stingers. <laughs> Let's go Stingers. So we go... We go to... It's two of us. We go to stay at this guy's house. He's, he's living in Vancouver. So we go. We yeah. go to visit. This is maybe my best day. Like it could be my best. So, uh, I guess. I love birth, that you know. I guess the birth of my children. I was about to say fine. Shout out birthday. to Ellis. Fine, it's my third. That's good. Yeah. Ellis Valentine's still tickled pink when I sent him Christmas cards. So is his wife. That is his little blonde kid named Ellis. Um, <laughs> not a lot of Jews named Ellis. No. Right. Like as soon as I saw, I go, oh, it's Ellis Valentine. It could not have been like it wasn't on purpose, Ellis Valentine, but I like that it. It is. <laughs> uh, he's a nice guy. So we go, and uh, I'm like 18. And uh, we're staying at this guy's house. First of all, we end up at this ridiculous house party. Lots of shenanigans, whatever. Yeah. But we go to Kitsilano Beach. Everybody to Kitsilano Beach? Mm-hmm. Kitsilano Beach is like us, the spot in Vancouver. Okay. So great beaches, lots of attractive people walking around, whatever. And they have basketball courts. And uh, we, we go. My buddy and I, my buddy's also 6'4". We grew up at rival high schools. We play basketball, whatever. Right. And we go to play. And the competition's really good, guys. We're more athletic than us, better than us, or whatever. And right. we're playing. And for whatever reason, I'm having the game of my life. Like anything, I could throw it in from the ocean. I wasn't even a jump shooter. I'm just like launching. <laughs> and it goes in. I'm swatting guys. Right. Guys, just big, twice my size. I'm like ding them up. Like it's it's ridiculous. Right. And it's like what I imagine. I never played basketball in Venice Beach, but this is what I imagine Venice Beach to be. Circling the court, there's just people watching. There's dudes. There's also women in bikinis, very attractive young women in bikinis. I'm 18 years old. Yeah. And whatever, to anything I want, I can, anything, short of like dunking in a guy's face, I'm doing anything that I want to do. Right. And the people watching me are like noticing it and are starting to exclaim, and I'm noticing that they are. My team wins like six in a row, we keep going. And, and I, oh, I also had like crazy long, like shoulder length hair, so I look like a fucking goofball. <laughs> but, uh, but, so like, it's ridiculous, like, like, it's, like this, this skinny Jewish kid with the bad hair, or whatever, but I'm dominating. Right. And, and, and afterwards, like, I go off the court and like, girls are coming up to talk to me after this thing. Right. It was, again, I guess the birth of my children, but it was, it was, this is where I hold Vancouver in my heart to be. I don't their opinion about Montreal, <laughs> but I know exactly how they feel about skinny guys who can rain jump shots. But I love that you have, like, you are aware of your greatest day. Do you know your worst day? You don't tell me about it, but just, if you were to think about it. I'm... Um, I've been very fortunate. That's a very interesting question. It's a real question. I like that. Yeah. Um, and I'll ask you the same, too. So, I've been very fortunate. I've never had, you know, my grandparents have passed away. I've never had any immediate family. I've never had any close friends. Another fight. In a way, my worst day should be the day that I was going 75 miles an hour on I-70 or whatever, so on I-95, and I fell asleep at the wheel on I-95. Uh, this is all told to me. I don't even remember this. Went off the freeway, apparently, hit a guardrail, hopped over an exit ramp, crashed into a forest, and right as I was about to hit a tree head-on, still going 70 miles an hour, that's when I woke up. Oh my God. Flipped and crashed. And it wasn't nighttime, it was daytime. And the story there was, this is getting involved, but the story there, and I've written, I write about, I've wrote about it then, and I published it every on Twitter at the end of August. It was an anniversary, embrace life and all this stuff. <coughs> the idea, the thing that happened was, my wife went into labor at 28 weeks, which is very early, with the twins. They take her there, uh, they have to take her in an ambulance, I have to catch up to her, I go there, I meet her there, 
and uh, they stabilize her. It's okay, you know, whatever. So I sleep in this, like, crappy little day bed on the side of it. It's not even, it's like a chair, basically. Yeah. Not a good sleep, whatever. But I feel awake enough. My family's in town. We're going to go to Fenway, like my dad, my sisters. Right. So I go to meet them on, you know, for lunch. I go to meet them for lunch. It's fine. And I say, you know, I'm going to go back to the house and take it easy. And in the middle of the day, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, whatever, I'm listening to indie rock or whatever it is. She fell asleep at the wheel. And, like, I absolutely should have died. I'm full impacted, like 70 miles an hour, and I get, and, and uh, so, you know, get off the free, whatever, and these cars, it's right at exit ramp, so they get off, one guy takes a hammer, breaks the window, two big guys pull me out of the car, and I go, oh my god, dude, we thought for sure you were dead, we've never seen anything like that, are you okay? And I go, I'm fine. Nothing happened. Nothing. Get out of I didn't here. even sprain a finger. Nothing happened. I broke my glasses, that's right. So that's, Did you go to temple immediately? And like, I'm not religious. Uh, I mean, you know, something like that makes you feel like, you know, hey, spiritual. No, I, you know, no, I, I didn't. The thing that it made me do was, it actually made me feel bad for shitty things that I'd done, because like, wow, what a what a break that I got. And then like, you know, we all tell these little white lies or whatever, and like, I just felt bad for like, and I'm, I'm not a, the worst person, I'm not the best person, sure. But I started fixating on these little small things, like, oh, I wronged Timmy in second grade, like. Like, it was just, it was, right. life, my life didn't flash before my eyes. Literally, the guilt flashed before my eyes. Like, wow, I got I got this huge break, and, and what a shit I was at this and this. And it, and it made me, like, want to try to be a better person, uh, which was interesting and weird or whatever, but it wasn't a religious epiphany at all. Right. Um, and I don't have any PTSD. Like, I've, I drove by that exit a million times. Nothing. Yeah. I never think about it. I've told the story many times. Yeah. doesn't bother me. There's no, like, other than, like, me being self-imposed, thinking about I want to try to be a nicer guy. There's no life lesson. Like I don't it was random chance. That is harrowing. Though, it's man. crazy. And I, 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 I didn't want to, want to go back to that spot again. I'm like, no way. I, it should be like that, but it didn't bother me. I don't know, and I'm not like. It's like unbreakable, you know. Like <laughs> I'm like fucking Bruce Willis, you know. Like it's weird shit. Right. And uh, he used to and, call me Mr. Class. He used to call me Mr. I didn't want to uh, tell him jealous because I'm like, well, what if she goes into labor? You want to like I have to tell her, like whatever. My dad goes to pick me up. I'm on the side of the road. My car's a cratering. Like, it's finished. Vol- by the way, buy a Volkswagen Golf if you ever want a durable car. Um, sure, saved your life? Yeah. And uh, it was just this weird thing. So that should have been the worst day of my life, but it wasn't. So I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't... Yeah. You know, maybe a big fight with whoever, a loved sure. one or something like that. But yeah. yeah. So, all right. Give me your best and your worst, then. Jeez, I don't... Uh, I don't want to bring up the worst, but if we're going to do it, let's, <laughs> do it, let's get real. <laughs> I want to pass now. <laughs> yeah, you can, all right, well, you just, <laughs> carry open book and then well, Yeah, whatever. Because most people have, like, I just, I cannot tell you how lucky I've been. Just like personal tragedy. Sure. Like, just, things just don't happen. You can just do best then. What's your yeah, best day? Best day yeah. You know, um, birth of your children, obviously. Um, Beyond the you know marriage, yeah, of course, marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when I got the when I got the call and I got the job at ESPN, that was pretty great. You were at TSN or the Score at that point. I was at the. I was actually at Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. Oh right, you went over there for a bit. Yeah. Right, so I worked at TSN. You know, I was a production assistant there. Then I went to uh, Omni, where I got my first job on air. Did that for a year and a half. You went to Ryerson. Like your goal was specifically to do it. Ryerson, right. where people don't know, right. that's the factory. It's like Syracuse or right, right, right. Mizzou or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. people ask me Ryerson. I go, it's like the Syracuse of Canada. Yeah. I hope people get it. Uh, then the score for six years, and then MLSE. And I remember I went and saw. Of course, I was at the movies by myself. I was watching The Messenger with Woody Harrelson, really good movie. I don't think I saw that. And my agent at the time, Mark Turner, had uh, had called, and I was just so anxious. And he was like, "Hey, 
Uh, you're about to be the biggest thing to hit America. You're about to be the biggest Canadian to hit America since Michael J. Fox. Wow! I know, like, you're gonna be <laughs> kidding me. And I was like, wow. Like, it was just, cause it's one of those that, like, I remember talking to one of my buddies, Mike Kiss, one of my best friends back at Ryerson. And I had said to him, you know, if I can just get a sports casting job one day, be in a major market, Toronto, New York, Boston, Chicago, Philly, whatever, and be making six figures, like, that's, that would be awesome. Right. And he goes, that's a pretty lofty goal, dude. Like, he goes, you know, the average sportscaster makes like 45 grand. Yeah. Like, you think you're going to be in these top 10 markets? I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know if I am, but that would be the goal. Right. So ESPN is so far beyond that. Like, yeah. that's, that's, no, that's a, maddening. And there's a level of celebrity that you don't expect and sure. all this stuff. The day I filled in for Keith was pretty epic, too, because I remember I had uh, done outside the line. Actually, I'll take it back. <laughs> when I got the call from, uh, who was it? It was Chris Duffy. Yeah. used to oversee talent. Mm-hmm. And I was back in Toronto to visit my family in Maple. And he had, it was <laughs> it was at 10 a.m. text, and he goes, hey, can you fill in for Olbermann tonight? And that was back when Keith was doing the show at 11. And, like, my heart fell, because I was like, I, I I could I would never tell you how much I would do for this. The same day you have to fill you have to jump right. He'd call at ten a.m. like on a on a Wednesday, like, hey, can you fill in for Oberman today? And I was like, I had no idea that I was anywhere close to ever being a guy that could fill in for Keith. Like I didn't think Keith knew who I am, any of the crew, any like I was like, this is so out of the realm of possibility. Wow. The first thought was, I can make it. Like I'll get in the car. It's a ten hour drive to New York. I'll be there. But and then I'm like, no, that, that's so unrealistic. And I was so crestfallen. I emailed like Mark Rose and all these bosses, and I was like, listen. He's my favorite broadcaster. Ever. I never dreamt I'd even work at the same company as him. Yeah. Much less have the opportunity to fill in for him. Like, I'll do anything to this again. I'm so sorry. If I had known, I would not have taken vacation. I would have been there available. And I wrote a letter to Jamie Horowitz, who was also overseeing Keith at the time. Because Gross was like, hey, listen, talk to Horowitz, but I'll let him know. Yeah. And Jamie was pretty funny, you know, because he's a pretty smart alky guy, too. And he was like, oh, whatever, sorry. You know, train's already passed you. But he was like, no, we'll keep you in mind. Yeah. And then, thankfully, it was like a week and a half later, Dave Sorosi was the coordinating producer. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Got a hold of me and was like, hey, do you want to fill in for Keith? And I remember, I was like, whatever it is, I'll do it. And I was already scheduled to do Outside the Lines that day, fill in for Bob Lee. I'll never Another forget Another monster it. of the industry, by the way. Forget I, it. My That's a ridiculous. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Think about this day. Why'd you go for Dan Rather today, too? <laughs> Jesus. I, I got into work at 8 a.m. I hosted Outside the Lines for Bob Lee at 3 to 3.30. I got in a car, was driven to New York City, was in Times Square at 6 o'clock, oh. and then filled in for Keith Olbermann. Wow! Who the hell? I filled in that for Bob Lee. Best. I think Bob Lee and Keith Olbermann the same day. And I remember I went back, and there was some guys in Philly that wanted me on to talk movies or some nonsense. And it was like, you know me, I'm pretty high energy all the time. But even at that point, it was like 12.30 in the morning. I'm like, listen, I've had a 16-hour day. I'm exhausted, but you know what? I, can, I don't think I'll ever top this. Bob Lee and Keith, I think that probably... There's a lot of emotional energy, too. You, it's like, you know, what I imagine, like... Uh, on, on my clothes, I like said... Like taking ecstasy, where all the endorphins come to the front, you're just like, oh, right. like, it's all happening right now. Right, it's like you 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 cherish the moment, but it's terrifying at the same time. Like, just please don't screw this up. Yeah. You're just You're just you're so fearful that something bad will go, but in the so moment... two different styles of shows, too. Right, yeah. exactly. I'm going for Bob and Keith, and I remember at the end, I, I don't think you can see enough emotion on my face, but I said... You have no idea what a, what a, what a thrill this is for me to feel. Uh, and in fact, I had asked Sorosi, because I said, hey, can I, uh, I think I messaged Keith. Yeah, what I did was I tweeted him, and I said, you know, I can't believe I'm filling in for Keith Olbermann today, and I said, I, I hope I can use one of your catchphrases. And Keith wrote back, and, I, and he goes, which one? And I said, I, I want to say, um, I can read his lips and he is not praying. <laughs> Which he said, a cab driver once said, some guy was screaming profanities, and he said that. And Keith wrote back, that'll be $1. This was via Twitter. And then I asked Sorosi when I got there, I said, can I get Keith's email? And he said, sure. You paid Pound one dollar? Yeah. And I was, no, I, I said, I go, listen, I owe you a dollar. Yeah. But like, I don't think you understand, like, you're my favorite broadcaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the, the, these moments do not happen 
I cannot thank you enough for the influence that you've done on my career. The fact I got to sit in your chair, like, I will never be able to top this. And he was just like, yeah, I didn't see the show. I was sick. But anyways, have fun. <laughs> 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 but he's never going to bullshit. No, I was going to say, his response was so flippant. It was so great. I'm like, well, that's Keith. He's like, I watched it. You're, you're a sensation. Like, no, I didn't see it, but whatever. Have fun. <laughs> and then uh, J.B. Critz, who was the best. And I still think J.B. had to be responsible. Because I asked him, I go, how did I get on the show? Like, just tell me. I just, I'm just curious. So was it at all Keith's recommendation? No. He said the, the way it happened is that they're like, all right, if Keith is out, you know, who's ever going to fill in? They have a depth chart. Yes. And I think that some of the names, let's be real, the ones that they probably wanted we're off limits for whatever reason. Like, hey, we want Van Pelt. I don't yeah, know if Van yeah, Pelt can yeah. get off sports hitter. Neil Evertonelli, whatever. And I think it was like, of this pool, who do you think? And JB had said either John Anderson or Adnan. And he said, Anderson's, Anderson's a brilliant writer yeah. and he definitely would get key sensibility. And JB just goes, I know Adnan. I know what a big Oberman fan he is. So at the very least, he, again, he knows his style and he's creative and whatever, pop culture and the rest of it. So I always, and I asked JB, I'm like, so, because like, then afterwards, you're like, it's one thing to fill in for your role model and hero. What happens? Yeah. What do you think? And there's two conflicting stories. One is the next day, uh, somehow my name got brought up. Again, Nick Sorosi was saying, hey, you know, that guy's really good. He did a great job for you. And Sorosi kind of tells it like, he's like, oh, I know he's good. Like, obviously, like, I've seen the guy. And uh, JB, I remember he emailed and he just, because he literally, <laughs> you know me, I'm nuts. I was like, give it to me word for word. Like, exactly <laughs> how did Dave say intonation? Like, you know, and he goes, Sorosi was like, hey, did you see? I think he was great. And Keith wrote back. Yeah, he does a great job. He's a great broadcaster. So it's either or, but at the very least, it's I, I know he's good, or he's a great broadcaster. And either one, I will. I will. That's keep, great. Right? If I get hit by a car tomorrow, I'm like, I'm fine. Uh, worst day. I gotta find a worst day now. Nah, I don't know. We can do that. Yeah, yeah one later we can do. And it. later, if I could think of one, but I'm. You're right. It's probably. You know what? It, it's. I can't think of the exact details, but probably, like like you said, when you've injured a loved one, like probably just arguments with my mom as a kid, like you say things that you wish you could have taken you back. And shit. I remember one time my buddy said to me, Cabby, Cabby, huge star, of course, on TSN. He goes, what do you think is worse, guilt or shame? And for me, I was like, guilt. He goes, no, no, think about shame. Like when you say, I'm ashamed of myself. Yeah. And I was like, that is powerful. <laughs> I think, yeah. how many times in your life do you think, I'm ashamed of my actions? Like, yeah. you, like I said, if you bullied a kid once, you're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm so ashamed of what I did that day. Yeah, like that is a well. The problem is you get older and you start to realize, you know, there have been, maybe you didn't even know it at the time because you were too young or callous or whatever. Right, you get that way. I think I've definitely. There's been arguments with my wife that you've said things you just go like, and you literally look at yourself and go, "How could I have ever said that?" This person who I love, who's right. awesome, right? How right. could I have ever said something that injured her so profoundly? <sighs> I'm that upbeat. No, but I just like you know, I don't mind being real. It's just like the the idea. I hate that, you know. But I it's why that. I could never do therapy, and I don't criticize anybody that does. And I give Joe Buck props because he talked to the fact he goes to a therapist regularly. He was great on your podcast. I think he told it was on Peter King's podcast. He said he goes regularly, and it's what Seinfeld once said about it. He goes, you know, you go there and you just unload all this stuff, and then there's no necessary solution. Now it's supposed to be cathartic. Just, yes. I, I got this out. And I told someone, and I just it's gone. Yeah. But Jerry goes, there is no actual blueprint. Like the therapist doesn't actually go, okay, here's how you fix it. A, B, and C will lead to D. They, they just, ask questions. Maybe. Correct. Right. They ask questions. And Jerry goes, actually, I think it serves into more negativity because sometimes Seinfeld goes, I think you go there and you're like, oh, I'm okay. I'm like, you sure? Like, is anything bugging you? <laughs> so if you start searching for stuff, you're like, well, yeah, I guess that was pretty bad. Like, yeah, I did feel really lousy about that. And he goes, it's almost self-fulfilling, if that makes any sense. I would never knock anyone to his therapy. And I'm yeah, sure it works yeah, yeah. But for me, I, I found if I've ever... Whenever I've kind of done it, I was always like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I don't have the, the, the guts to go down that path, right? Because you do have to really look at yourself. I kind of am that way anyway. I'm really hard on myself. When I was a right. teenager, like, I was just, 
I don't know if it's self-pity, like, or, or just, like, I actively hated myself, but it was just, like, really hard. Yeah. And I still fight that, and there's an argument for going to therapy for fixing that or whatever, but, like, I, you know... The best argument for it, which I completely agree with, yeah. is that the non-judgmental. If I tell some of my friends what this crap I've done, maybe they're going to look at me differently. Also, if you're, if some of the things that you have a problem with are, like, your wife, like, and you shouldn't dump on your wife about it. What do you think about, like, couples therapy? Brian Cranston said he goes, like, every few months. Right? And I was like, I don't, again, I was like, if everything's going okay, I'd rather let whatever minor issues be there. I don't want it to fester and bake into a bigger issue. Right. But he goes, no, if it's a minor issue, fix it, and then you're good. <sighs> like, if, I, if you said, honestly, hey, every month let's start going to therapy. I'm like, ah. I think. It's an option, if I necessary. I think the couples, you know, I think you want to be honest and all that stuff. I just think not everything is made for prime time, though. Like, I'm not, I'm never going to say everything to her, because, like... Right. You know, some, some things are just petty and stupid, like, whatever, like, wh- it doesn't serve any... If I tell her, like, it doesn't help, like, whatever, it's just right. like a, you annoyed me slightly six weeks ago, like, right. you're a crazy person for bringing that up, you know what I mean? And by your the way... Love, your meatloaf's lousy, I never told right, you that. Right. Vegetarian. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> also... She would bring up a hundred more things, and she's yeah. a lovely person because I'm terrible. Like compared to her, that's a good insane. point. She'd have a lot more ammo. And I think most of her. us are like that. You know, point. I'm sure your wife is. I love yeah. you, but I bet your wife, your picture right. better than you are. So why does that happen? Like I'm a much better person to other people than to my loved ones. And I asked a friend of mine. He goes, well, "Most people are like that." I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Yeah." Are you kidding? He goes, "If you went to ESPN, I'm like, oh, Ferk's the best. He's a good guy." I'm like, "Well, you could ask my brother, my cousin, my dad." They're like, "Ah, he's not that good a guy." I, I would go further, and I would say that the more removed you are, sometimes the even nicer you can be. Like, I, you know, if, I, if I'm, if i like, I have many faults, but yeah. I'm really good with, like, waiters, support staff. Like, yes. Not because of whatever, but just because. Like, it's courtesy or whatever. Right. Like, the more that I know people make me the that I am, up yes. to the point where you get to, like, the wife or whatever. Right. Like, the brother's a little more than the sister, they're like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... It sucks. Like, what did they do to deserve it? And I don't, I don't have a good answer other than... It should be the other way. You should treat your loved ones the best and treat, not necessarily the waiter badly, indifferent. but indifferent, correct. correct. There, there's a closeness that allows you to open up and be more real, I guess. Right. And I think you also, I think that ultimately, somebody said this to me once, they go, the only real rule, the only thing that governs people in life, really governs people, is why don't you love me? Why don't you love me? It can mean your job. It can be in your interpersonal relationships. It can actually be, you know, love affair, wife, whatever, that kind of thing. And the, there's no risk of the waiter loving you because you have nothing vested. And then the higher up you go, right. the more love you need. And so, you know, your wife does love you. But right. if you feel not quite loved enough, you are personally hurt. And unless you're a psychopath or a truly bad person, <laughs> you're not lashing out for no reason. You're lashing out because you don't feel love. Yeah. You know, and and, and 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 I think arguments when people get into arguments with their spouse and they say hurtful things, yeah. it's because you feel hurt. You know, it's right. like a cornered animal kind of thing. Right. It sucks. Like I, I, you know, I'm such a high affect person that I'm like tamp it down, tamp it. Don't do that. Don't do right. that. And for the most part, it's pretty good. And I don't really yell at my kids or whatever. But like, yeah. if you ever transgress, you just you feel horrible about it. That's the ashamed days. Yeah, there's, I, I don't think of more worse days. You're right. Like there's times I've yelled at my kids, and I'm like. He's four. Like, They're four, yeah! What are you doing, man? He's a little kid. Like, I it's know. okay. It's the worst. Yeah, yelling at your kid, that guilt after. Oh, I'm such it doesn't a go person. away. My brother told me that it was, it's important to apologize to your children after. 
Absolutely. Yusuf is now nine. Adin is turning. It just turned six, and Shaz, our baby, is eight months. And I'm like, with Yusuf and Adin, if I do something wrong, I will afterwards. I've said to Yusuf, like, hey, I'm sorry, buddy, that I was, I was wrong there. I shouldn't yell at you. I'm sorry. I think apologizing is a good skill to pick up anyway. And I also think that um, number one, you don't want to hurt their feelings. Number two, it's a shit example. Like, you don't want them to go off and haul off on their classmates or their teachers or eventually their partners or whatever. You don't want any of that too. So right. Yeah, all that. Um, One thing you talked about was you were saying. This idea of becoming a Canadian in American media, yeah, and I had a follow up to that. Uh, that's true. Also, you're Muslim, right? Which I think, due respect to the Canadian thing, yeah. that might be the thing that could cause yes more uh, interesting reactions. Sure. Um, on social media, you get out there a little bit on that. Not ever. Not, the, the, not that I've seen anyway on uh, right on TV or anything like that. Is there a conscious decision made in terms of how much you want to put it out there and how much not? It's absolutely part of your identity. Right. You could come across with very positive messages if you want to. Sure. You also have a job and you have to think about what's the right tone. No doubt. Uh, how are you making those decisions? I find, because, you know, part of you says, well, listen, this is a critical time for Muslims. Like, look, at, look at what's happening in the world and you're actually a guy who has a platform. You're visible. Mm-hmm. You can't criticize... Michael Jordan, when he'd say Republicans buy shoes too, and Derek Jeter for never taking a stance, and Tiger Woods for doing anything, and praise Muhammad Ali, who's one of my heroes, and mm-hmm. Jim Brown, who did so many things for African Americans, because they took a stand, and not do the same thing. But then I say, okay, you've got to be, I'm a diplomatic, but selective. So with my Twitter, I say, you know, technically, it's my name and it's ESPN. Like, ESPN's in the Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. So I'm representing the company, so it doesn't make sense for me to give my opinion about Trump and what he about the Muslim ban because it's yeah. not the right spot and as Adam Amin said to me who does a great job for ESPN also Muslim play by play he goes there's not enough nuance in 140 characters like these are complex issues oh, yes. in terms of you know terrorism and, and stereotyping etc he goes so I, I can't do it in a meaningful manner on Twitter so that's A but B I always think I'm like but I work for ESPN and my handle says ESPN and people follow me at sports and movies and that's it and if True Islam which is a, a, a Twitter which you know I have friends who are involved with, they ask me, hey, listen, can you retweet this or get this out there? I'm like, hey, listen, I, I probably owe that to them or owe responsibility to people of my faith, et cetera. But that doesn't mean i got to do it every day, and I don't want to bombard people. And, and listen, you and I show the same... personality, that would not be genuine. We talked about being right. genuine. That's not, you wouldn't, that's not you. And you and I show the same political leanings, but <laughs> don't you at times find there's somebody you might follow you and go, hey, man, like, a little excessive. You know what I mean? Like some people, you just hey, listen. I'm on the same team, but you don't need to tweet yeah. every ten minutes. Like, well, like I got it. To be fun, right? Like I got it, man. We're we're on the same yes. team here. But seriously, take a break. Like some of that, I just find it so heavy-handed and sanctimonious, and just pummels you to submission. So you know what? I don't want to be that guy doing that to people. I'm going to be light and and not frivolous, but upbeat. And if the situation really calls for it, fine. I, I will throw my weight behind a cause that's important to me. But generally, I'm not going to touch it. Now, if somebody throws in some racist vitriol at me, I do like the concept of retweeting it because then everyone gets to shame them yeah. and everyone does the work for me. So, you know, they say something, you know, I'm Mike and Mike, and I, you know, it's always like a visible show like that. And it's just something against Islam or Muslims. And I'll retweet it or just, you know, hey, thanks for the early morning racism, something like that. And then everyone, guys like you and my buddies, will all go after the guy. So I'm like, great, he gets destroyed. <laughs> like, there, there was a reason, this was the stupidest, I don't even understand what this guy was thinking. He said, Hey, I saw on your Wikipedia, your eldest son's name is Yusuf. It should be Joseph. Joe, not you. Like, what are you thinking? Something like that. Like, like, something along those lines. And I was like, are we now at the point where we're criticizing, like, children's names? Like, hey, 
which is the Arabic name. Like, come on. So I quote tweeted and just put, tell it to your one follower. So I was like, all right, throw a jab, fine. Right, right. And then you get a few people going, hey, you're bigger than that. You shouldn't be doing that. And Mike Greenberg once said to me, and Jay Billis told him this, he goes, don't punch down. Yeah. Because you're Adnan Verk. Like, you're a person of substance. The person who's trying to goad you into a fight, like, they are so beneath you. Like, don't engage yeah. them. But to me, I'm like, but Scott Van Pelt told me once, and I bang out of with Scott. He goes, but that's not fair that they get to take shots to me, and I can't throw back once in a while at them. I don't have to lob grenades every day, but that's not fair that you get to say hurtful, mean, and sensitive things, right. and I can't once in a while throw it back at you. Now, Jamel Hill will go back full throttle all the time, and that's yes. not something I want to do. But I'm like, you know what? If I was looking at the crap that Jamel faces, maybe I would be upset with him. So he woman stuff that, oh, my ass is black. Like, oh, my God. Like, it's brutal. So I'll do it occasionally, but... Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's it's hard not to get sucked into it because it's so poisonous. It's so destructive, and you don't want. And, it, and it's upsetting. Like it's hurtful. There are times I've read stuff, and I'm like, "Really? You honestly feel that way about me just because of my religion, because of my faith? Like I never would have imagined that." Yeah, I think it's. You know, if you met this person in person, they probably wouldn't. But the right. anonymity of the internet and all that stuff. Right. You no, know, I've definitely disengaged to a certain extent. I, I don't like. I try not to Twitter on my phone very rarely anyway, and I'm right. mostly from the web and even like Instagram, which is fun and frivolous whatever like I right. don't really use it that just like I'm just easing away right but I'm still out there with his brand or whatever it is that I have and I'm still like the fact that I have this many followers it is a fact that I can get probably more money as a result of my next negotiation or whatever right and I want to feed my family so do I suck it up and whatever right but then if I get you know dragged in by the poisonous element of it, do I, do I take it home with me or whatever? Like, it's all these right. things. And I will say, Jonah, ESPN to their credit, John Skipper, like, from the highest levels, he's never said to me, hey, you have to censor yourself or we'd rather not you engage and in conversation with your And people have the perception that ESPN is like that. Correct. They probably think, like, oh, you they, can see they, The biggest thing that they don't like is when you go after each other. Yes. Yeah, it, 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 correct. If, That's what um, the Keith Lock or Chilling thing was, yes. like, things like yeah. that. If a conservative commentator for ESPN said something about Islam and then I went back at him, they'd go, hey, hey, let's let's... Right. Let's not do that. But if somebody came at me or I had something to say, or there was a Humanity First, which is a Muslim organization, yep. charitable foundation. I hosted a dinner of theirs last Saturday. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with me tweeting that. That's a charitable organization. Of course not. Helping build schools in Guatemala. Now, if it's affiliated with Islam, I'm like, okay, fine. Like, there's, and that's the other thing, too. I'm like, if ever they said anything, I'm like, well, hang a second. Like, Danny Cannell and Aaron Boone can say, I'm going to church this Sunday or Merry Christmas. Or why can't I say Eve Mubarak? Or, you know, if Seth Greenberg's talking about Yom Kippur. I'm like, everybody has whatever faith. 100%. So I think as long as the same rules apply to everybody, which they certainly do at ESPN, right. contrary to what people think. I talk about a narrative that you cannot solve. Everyone's like, ah, liberal media, liberal ESPN. I'm like, it really isn't the case. I could tell you the names of all the executives of ESPN that are diehard Republicans. Like, 100%. guaranteed, the they voted for Trump. The only thing ESPN is making money. No doubt. It's a for-profit enterprise. No doubt. God if, bless. Right. <laughs> you, are, you are bang on. Like, if I started making comments that was hurting sponsors and ad revenue, they'd go, hey, for take it down a notch. Subway sucks. That's much worse than declaring. <laughs> right. Yeah, you can't do that. Right, like I said, when Richard Deitch did that, column about Muslims in sports media, and he had like a round table of seven of us, six of which are for Canadian. Um, really? Yeah. Arash Madani? No, Arash was not in there. It was um, Nabil Karim okay. uh, from TSN, um, a few others too. Six Canadians. That's really interesting. I was a little surprised. Though. Like, I didn't realize like, so many of us happened to be Canadian. Yeah. But it just whatever the sports media, it seems to have worked out that way. But one of the Deitch's questions was, you know, what's your reaction to the election, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, you know what? In this form, I think it's okay. It's not my Twitter handle. It's on SI.com. I'm being asked my opinion. Sure. And, I, and I think what I said was, I said, you know, I think he's an unrepentant bully 
who conducts himself in a manner that's unbefitting of the president. But I also recognize that for a lot of people, they appreciate his passion and his brazenness. Sure. And as appalled as I am by it, he clearly speaks for many. Yeah. And I had people going, I can't believe you said that. I'm like, but, but I just give my opinion. And I thought it was a fairly diplomatic, honest answer. And wouldn't you be surprised? Well, what, what is there to disagree with about that? Right. I would find even staunch advocates of the President Trump would say, like, yeah, yeah, some of the stuff. Hey, enough he of the Twitter. He is brazen. Right. He's outspoken. He's, some people do support him. Right. Like, that's, I, that's, that's really not controversial. <laughs> I'm not knocking you. I'm just right. saying. I said I, I think he's he's ignorant and a bully and unrepentant. And I'm like, that. I think he'd be... Unrepentant. He'd like, Thanks. Support, absolutely a point. Right. He'd be like, that's damn right. That's who I am. I say whatever I want. Yeah. The other thing I can't understand, because I get this argument, people go, do you think he's really smart and he just says stuff about Muslims because he knew, listen, they're 1% of the population, 3 million people, I'm going to galvanize yeah, yeah. and just anger people. I don't actually feel this way. I've got business interests around the world. Are you kidding? I'm in bed with the Saudis, Dubai, all these Muslim countries, Muslim yeah. leaders. Yeah. Or does he actually feel this way and was like, you know what, I can separate between business interests and friends that may have had at American Muslims who are cops and firefighters and hospital workers and the actual extreme terrorists. Which one do you think it is? The answer to my answer is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You say you're the president. If right. you declare that this is, who cares what your motivations are? Right. Either you are a racist right. or you're an opportunistic liar. <laughs> is one of them better than the other? Those are both bad. And that's not, that's not a Trump thing. You know, if I right. said something hurtful or whatever, do I believe it or not? If I'm faking that I believe it, that's good, that's better. If like, right. There's no good answer to that. Right. Appearances matter a ton. So I'll give you a for instance, okay? Because my dad always said to me, he goes, listen, in the workplace, never discuss politics or religion. Yeah, yeah. You're never going to win. Yeah. And I'm like, that's fair. Like, if we're in the baseball tonight green room, it wouldn't make sense to start slamming Trump or praising whomever. No. Right? But, but. We don't. Nobody does. I don't think, I think we're pretty good about that. Again, people don't realize that. They sure. think there are a bunch of liberals here. I'm like, no, no, no one's really talking politics. No. I'm pretty, I, I could identify the political leanings of the vast majority yes, of my co-workers. and there was some creepings happening, but yes. like, I didn't, duh. Right. right. Uh, uh, what the hell was I going to say? We were talking about... Like, if I told you I voted for Jeb Bush, your head may explode, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, and I should also point this out, too, for any of the Trump lovers now mad at me. I don't have a vote. I'm Canadian, so yeah. I did not cast a same, vote. Same, Right? So I, I can't even cast a vote. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. We were talking about... Whether, you know, whether it's this or that. Yeah. So some people, right. and I, I like this guy, but some people are not nuts about Justin Trudeau. Yeah. And, and he gets much more criticism in Canada than he does I'm about to say, I got Canadian buddies Way who are liberals who do not like the guy. Absolutely true. Yeah. And one of the criticisms about Trudeau is that he comes across as foamy. I don't believe this to yeah, be I don't true. Think, I think he's genuine. I would say there are two things going on. Number one is, he and his staff do a very good job of craft, crafting message, mm -hmm. and they are, they, they're aware of what things are going to look like, and they execute on them, and it makes them look good. Yeah. And also, he has convictions and believes that things are X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. So when you ask me which one is it, it sort of doesn't matter. I believe that he is genuine, but even if he wasn't genuine, if he hugs a single mom who can't pay her bills and is despondent or whatever, and it looks good on camera, and that was the only thing that matters that it looks good on camera, I don't give a f because that single mom feels much better about her situation. Again, I think that he's genuine. Yes. But if that is your criticism, that is a hollow criticism. And I, it's exactly flipped for me the other way, too. Right. If you are a salt of the earth... 
but you say that all Muslims are terrible. Right. You're a f- there's no there's no coming back from that. I don't care if you're right. the president or you're a guy. Like you right. cannot do that. Yeah, it's weird too because you start to see support in ways that you wouldn't necessarily imagine. Yeah. Our mosque is in Meriden, Connecticut, and Rabbi Michael Kahn, who's been at Benai Abraham for decades, yeah. goes to our mosque. He's like, hey, listen, I'm just here to help. And he's like, listen, at our synagogue, we're going to like start. We want to do like interfaith events with Muslims and cool. Jews. And he was like, listen. Our people know something about being discriminated. And I'm like, I hear you. He said, we know a little something. We're all Semites. <laughs> right. He goes, we know, we know a little something about being stereotyped. Yeah. So anything you need, seriously, let us know. I, and when I hear stuff like that, then that warms my heart. Like a personal connection sure. with someone who's saying, listen, let's focus on our similarities, not what divides us. And we're here for you. By the way, if, that, if he thought that was a method to pump up his congregation or get fundraising, I super don't care because right. it's still cool. Exactly. Like, it's hard to the right people. Be cynical. I don't care. Like, like the amount really... of people after the election were just like, hey, I hope you guys are doing all right. Like, I know it's a tough time for you guys. Hang in there. Like, that means the world to me. Symbols mean everything. Small gestures mean everything. I, yes. don't, I don't care if your motivations are relevant. It doesn't matter. Right. Because I, I say it more for my wife. Like, Eamon wears the hijab. Like, she wears a scarf. So I'm like, people can't necessarily tell that I'm Muslim. I mean, is he Hindu? Is he Sikh? Is he Christian? Is yeah, he yeah. Hispanic? I don't know. Like, with my mom, with my wife, like, she clearly identifies. Yeah. So, like, I worry more for her. Like, what what comments, what what images, thoughts? Like, I mean... For sure. You, you can drive yourself batty, man. Seriously. Huh. That's interesting. Um, you, you know, you were doing a lot of baseball, and now you're starting to the film stuff. But even on the sports front, yeah. it's college football and all that, and, and you've become more versatile. And... I have read articles that bring you up by name that say, well, ESPN has another younger generation. This person's gone. That person's gone. Right. And they're investing more in people like Adnan Burke, they'll say. Right. And, uh, you know. You I are, love all those people. They, I know. They, they, I owe them all money. It's, it's, it's very nice. And I think that aside from the fact that you're personable and good at what you right. do or whatever, having versatility is great. Did you say to yourself, this is a way for me to build job security? Or was it like, football sounds great, let's fucking do some football? No, no, no. I, I had zero say in this. Any, anybody who thinks that I'm smart or savvy or calculated enough is sadly mistaken. They, they ask you to. They literally ask me to and I do it. That, okay. that, that is how ESPN works. Like When I got there, I'm working on ESPN News. And then after six to nine months, it's like, hey, how do I get to the next thing? Like, how do I Mike get Hill. To- Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Keep booning. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah. The hot list. All those guys, right? Like, that, that, that was, was the first thing I ever did was a hot list. We just grinded it out on ESPN News. Like, I don't know who's watching. If a tree falls in the forest, whatever. Me, Steve Weissman, Max Bredoff, Deuces Rogers, Mike Yam, Sarah Walsh. Like, all of us are just, just doing our thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, eventually just... I, I figured it out, so I was just like, oh, how do I get to the next level? And then I go, well, you have to make meetings with people. And I was like, oh, that's a huge misconception. Make people meetings. think, you just come to ESPN, do a good job, and, and you'll get promoted. No, no, no. You should do a good job and then have meetings with all these coordinating producers and supervisory people and impress upon them that you should be on their show and then go to the next level. Really? I.e., I was like, all right, well, I love baseball. Like, how can I get on baseball tonight? And like, well, Mike McQuaid's guy runs baseball tonight. Like, well, what's he like? They're like... <laughs> if you've ever played poker in your life <laughs> they go he can be a little intimidating Linda Cohn goes she goes he's intimidating but he's like Belichick like he loves to win oh and, yeah and like if, if you can if you can get him you're set and I remember meeting with him and like 30 seconds in like oh my god I'm a failure like he's just He's fiddling around with paperclips on his desk. He's not making eye contact. Yep, that's I'm like, right. I'm like this, this, this could, I could not be more despondent at this point. Should I just leave? Like, this was a bad idea. This was on me. But I remember he was like, listen, you seem like a nice kid. Like, send me some of your stuff. But, like, I got no vacancies. Like, I got Carl Roberts. I got Steve with you. Like, sure. what do you want me to do? Like, I, I can throw you a couple days when those guys are on so vacation. Then you bribe the Diamondbacks to hire Bird. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, oh, <laughs> counts when the opening's there. But it's funny with Mike. 
you, you, again, and this is advice for people. You try to find a connection, anything. Yeah. And with Mike, I, I wasn't calculated about it, but I was like, listen, man, I, I love Oberman. Like, he's my guy. And I had known that Mike was the producer of The Big Show. And I said, Dan. He goes, oh, you're a big, big fan of The Big Show. I'm like, yeah, are you kidding? And then I started saying, like, I know you because of the book. Like, I read The Big yeah. Show. So yeah. you're Q. You're Niedermeyer dead. And, like, I, all the catchphrases. Like, I, I'm aware, man. So then he was like, oh, okay. Like, it wasn't like he warmed up to me, but at least it was, it was something, right? Yeah. And then he would say stuff like, oh, you're a big fan of Oberman? Well, this is how he would do things. Or this was, I remember one thing was about watching highlights. And he goes, you know, a lot of anchors just think, hey, we'll just, we'll just give me the shot sheet and we'll read the hots and go. And he goes, well, Keith always watched them. Like, he always wanted to make sure there was something in there that he was aware of it, do it with the analyst, make funny comments, whatever it was. So I was like, all right, if that's good enough for Keith, it's good enough for me. And I just liked hearing stories about, you know, Keith and Dan and those guys. Like, I'm like you in that respect. We just were junkies for just information and anecdotes, right? Naturally, nosy people. So then it was just, like you said, Burke gets a job there. I'm like, oh my God, now I got a chance. And it was, and it, because I had met with Mike several times, given him video, et cetera, pounded him, it's all persistence, right? Chris Berman gives the best advice ever. He goes, for any aspiring broadcasters, there's a fine line between being pushy and a pain in the butt, and only you know what it is. So you've got to find that fine line. So thankfully, it was like, all right, Ravage's the main guy, but me and John Shambi, me and Boog will split whatever birthday you used to do. And all of a sudden, Boog down his play-by-play full-time. Okay, yeah. now you're the guy. And now, obviously, baseball tonight's changed. But the college football blew me away. I, I remember I got the call from Bill Graff, overseas studio production. He called me in. He goes, hey, uh, we're going to put you on college football. And he was being two. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, and he was like, yeah, it's going to be happening in the fall. And I honestly, I was like... Are you sure about this? <laughs> I guess I, I'm Canadian. Like, I don't know the big 12 yeah, right. from the SEC. Like, I've been here a few years, and I, I can get by. But listen, it'd be like you and me talking about the Habs in 86. I'm like, I got that. Yeah. I, I have no idea what happened in the national championship in 1984. And he was like, but you don't have to have past history. This is studio reps. It's, it's live events. You're just focusing on this season, this yep. team, and maybe a couple years past. You just need to know the basics. You'll get through it. And again, you're smart. You'll, you'll work with the analysts, figure out what they know, extract information, et cetera, et cetera. So I, it's, it's really fascinating to me. Of all the unpredictable detours my life has taken, I never would have thought my career at ESPN consists of doing baseball in the summer, college football in a prime position in the fall, oh, yeah. and college basketball in the winter. Like, that's crazy. Like, I'm the studio host on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday on ESPN. I never would have dreamt that would happen. And that was somebody else's decision. Now, I remember, again, I want to find out like, who, who decided this. And John Wildhack, who was the vice president at yeah, the time, he had said, he goes, I'd seen you on college basketball with Jay Williams and Seth Greenberg, and I thought you worked well with analysts. Oh. But then Lee Fitting, who was his college, was like, no, it was my call. We've got to have this guy in here. So I, I have no idea whose decision it was. But in answer to your question, it was not my decision. And that's where I think it gets tricky. People go, oh, are you, did you just find a way to put yourself on? I'm like, no, trust me. I remember starting, and I told Lori Leno, the top director, I got three goals. If I get any of these three, I'd be thrilled. If I could host my own sports center, like 11 p.m. sports center, Monday Friday. Oh, yeah. If I could host Sports Nation, because then I can do the pop culture stuff, yeah. that was Beatle and Colin, yeah. or be one of the hosts of baseball tonight. I said, if I can get one of those two, that's great. I never said, I'd like to work on five different things <laughs> and somehow be a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. But Van Pelt once said to me, he goes, guys like you, he goes, you're in a good spot, because even if they didn't like you that much, when the contract comes up, they go, oh, see, this is just a pain. We're going to have to get somebody to do college football, yes. college basketball, yes. baseball, radio, yes. Mike and Mike social shows, Cinefi- You know what, let's just pay this guy and he'll just do it all and we'll be fine. Now, Mike Greenberg has also said to me, you'll, you'll always have a job because of the fact you can do all those things right. universally. He goes, but, Greeny goes, you'll never really get paid unless you just do one thing. Like, he goes, because they'll they'll undervalue you in some ways. Like, oh, yeah, oh you, yeah, because you're making five jobs. You're not getting five salaries. Right. So he goes, you're never, he goes, it's better to be <laughs> me. Like, Greeny's like, Mike and Mike, I do. Mike and Mike. But you, there's only a couple of Mike's. 
That, going, and that's my thing. I was like, listen, I can't, listen, I'd like to host the six, but it's Jamel and Michael. Right. So you know what? Credit to them. They're great. I, I can't, I can't force my way into a position. Yeah. I just do what I'm told. I really do. <laughs> it sounds so simple, but I'm like, they tell me when to show up and I say yes. How high would you like me to jump, sir? <laughs> like, this past year, Jonah, I've done college football, college basketball, baseball, World Cup of Hockey, college hockey, Frozen Four, women's softball raps, which means studio work. Yeah. Um, women's uh, WNBA. Wow. Women's college basketball. Like, I don't know anything about these things, but you just, you want me to do it, I'll do it. Like, direct traffic. Right, exactly. Analyst is a star. Yeah. What do you want me to talk? What are you going to talk about? Okay, good. Let's researcher go looks at paper. Cheryl swoops. She has commentary. <laughs> I had to do that recently. I was like, all right. Well, uh, how about Deladon? She's been terrific, averaging yes, fourteen point eight points over her last five games. Let's get through these three minutes. We fooled them again, Carrie. They have no idea. Burke loves loves it. New York Liberty. Mike McQuaid is the reason that I have an agent. Really? I'll be a I negotiated my own contract with Mike McQuaid. How'd that go? What a stupid idea that was. Sign this. Uh, what about sign this? He goes... Get out of my office. I was writing for Grandland. Yeah. And uh, TV was a, it was a separate writer. It was a separate... It was a pull-out contract. It wasn't the same thing at all. So I had to negotiate, you know, whatever. Right. And uh, now, my impression of baseball tonight is that the, everything is pretty linear and there's not as much wiggle room or whatever, but still... Yeah. So, you know, he makes a salvo. I think it's a salvo. I go, well, what about this? And he goes, that's the number. I go, uh, what do you mean? He goes, this is how many days. This is the per day, whatever. And I go, yeah, but you consider that I do this. Like, that's the number. <laughs> didn't, didn't smile. <laughs> didn't get angry. Right. Didn't raise his voice. Yeah, Mike is very matter of fact. Just, this is what it is. And after, and I wasn't, I didn't object too much, but after like the third time, he still kept the same poker face, but you could detect a little bit of, are you crazy to be arguing with me? Do you know who I am? You're right. not going to win this argument. Right. And it's not... But I like that you pushed it, because it's like, well, what, are you going to take with the offer? Because I'm, I'm not insulted, I'm not balking at it, I'm just curious. Is there no wiggle room? Yeah. I'm not afraid to negotiate. I, I don't... I assume that if somebody comes into negotiation with you... It's yeah. not an all-or-nothing thing. They're there because you're interested. You're there because they're interested. Yeah, here's an underrated quality in someone, which I think you are speaking of. You have to know your own self-worth. Yeah. Rosillo gets it. He's like, no, no, I, I, I grind, man. Like, you know how hard it is to do talk radio every day? Like, I'm worth something. Too many people undervalue themselves. It's possible that I might sometimes, but I do think within a negotiation, they want you there. Like, I've already yes. done shows. This is a negotiation for the next round. Now, if I said something like, Pay me nine hundred thousand dollars per show, and by the way, you're all <laughs> okay. That's a different story. But I'm not doing that. I'm just, ne- just negotiating for myself. But you got nowhere, and literally, like I, I, I think the next day I like called up whoever, and I'm like, right. okay, look, can I? I should get me. Yeah, somebody, I lied to his agent. Same thing. Great. Yeah. I met him at the Oscars. He's awesome. Here's the thing with agents. I've heard this before. People go, they're like a necessary evil, and I'm like, I disagree. I'm with you. I'm like, listen, I'm so grateful that I've seen awesome. like, they're they're lovely people. Great. Yeah. Like, I, I, you're right, I couldn't do that. If, if Mike stared me down, I'm like, oh, whatever, like, I'll take it. And even my agent said that to me. He goes, you have what many have. Specifically you, middle class immigrant mentality. Hey, man, I'm just happy to have a job. Yeah. My parents came from Pakistan. They grind yeah. like, I actually get paid to watch sports. Yeah, wait, whatever you want to pay me is more than enough. And it's not That's that you... That's a terrible negotiation. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like, thank God I've got them to do it, because I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. And he goes, what happens is that it's not that you... Here's another thing. When people say to you, how did you become a sportscaster? I'm always like, it's not that I think I'm that good. It's just that when I see other people, I go, I think I could be as good as I could do guy. that, yeah. 
Right? I never... People always go, was this a yearning for you? Did you just... You desire to be on television? I'm like, I don't, I don't know about the hell. I don't know if that's kind of navel-gazing. It seemed like a fun gig. I like to talk a lot. I got to get paid to talk. I get to watch sports. Great. And I'm like... And I see other guys. I'm like, I think I have similar skill sets. Yeah. And you need to have people around you who say... And I'm sure you have these people who said to you at some point, hey, Joey, I think you'd be pretty good at this. When I was at TSN, James Duffy, Darren Detition, Rod Smith, they all said, hey, you, you could do what we do. I'm like, you think? They're like, yeah, of course you could. I'm like, all right. Like, they, they see in you what you don't even see in yourself. You're practicing Vic Router impressions. You're like, Vic make Router. the final. Vic Router, unbelievable. <laughs> like, the fact I even know Vic Router is staggering to me. <laughs> I, I still think make the final. I, I love, and those, a lot of those guys are still there. They're the best. Like it's, and Jay and Dan are going back. Yeah, it's crazy. Duffy was on Deitch's podcast recently, and Jay had made the same point too. What a great guy he is! Because Deitch was like, "Oh, how did Canada ever leave him? And, and, and how did how did Canada not recognize Adnan's talent or whatever it was?" And Jay goes, "Well, they didn't really give him a chance." Like he goes, "You're a kid, right?" He goes, "Like he was just a young kid, and he goes, he was on the score, which was you know number three, vastly behind TSN no Sports, exists. right? Because it's now defunct." And he goes, "Like people just didn't give him a chance, and so by the time." people would recognize his talent he was already at ESPN yeah. and even Duffy said that he was like sometimes people just don't recognize it like I'll get Canadians now are like oh you're a turncoat I'm like are you kidding I'm like a turncoat if TSN had given me the job that I would have if TSN had given me a job period yeah. I wouldn't have left right if Sportsnet had said you can be Jamie Campbell yeah. or Ivanka Osmak or Martine Geyer I'm like yeah I'm in great it's only because those opportunities were not there and my boss at the score Anthony Ciccioni Dave Rutherford were like hey I think you'd be pretty good in the States I'm like you think they're like yeah you should get an agent you should explore that you almost owe it to yourself to see what you could do with that right it was before I even and I got married it was like you know do it now because once you're here for a while it'll be too tough to move and there are Canadian buddies I have where I'm like dude of course you can work at ESPN yeah. there, you're better than some guys that I know absolutely but once you're entrenched you've got family kids etc it's tough to make that move and I, I ask you this yeah. do you think because I think I used to think this and now I could not disagree more that there was something to be said for, like, if you're, if you're really good, you leave Canada. Like, I used to think, like, oh, yeah, hey, these Canadian anchors are really good, but the really good ones go to the States. And now I'm like, no, dude, Peter Mansbridge rocks. Like, Peter Mansbridge is as good as any news anchor in America. <coughs> 100%. I think the resources are there now in a way there wasn't before. I don't know what the top people at Sportsnet make, but that's pretty damn good money. I feel pretty confident in saying that. So Mark Askin used to be the Maple Leafs producer. He was great to me at MLSC. He said to me once, he goes, it's a real fallacy to think the best sportscasters work at TSN Sports and East Me. He goes, like, the best sportscaster might work in, like, Kamloops. And I remember a week later going... discovered or whatever. Right. And then I, I remember I asked him that quote, like, a month later, and he goes, yeah, I was wrong about that. Like, what do you mean? He goes, I thought about it, and he goes... He goes, he would have been discovered. Yeah. He goes, eventually, if you're really good, people do recognize you. He goes, somebody happens to hear Dan Shulman, who was great on your podcast, and told that story. It was literally that somebody heard him. Yeah, and and Mark goes, you know what, eventually, if you're really good, somebody does find you. Not for nothing, but Dan looks like he might be transitioning a little bit more to Canada now as well. Right. I think there's something to that. I want to ask you about, um, you know, we talked a little bit about baseball tonight, and, and, well, it's been chopped up. It's not what it was. There used to be a million shows or whatever. You know, the industry is what it is, and maybe it was unavoidable. I guess the way that I can maybe try to enter this conversation is to ask you, what was that show, or is that show at its best? Like, what, you know, yeah. it, like, if you could replicate X, this type of show, this type of night, this is the night that I executed on this and it worked really well, Yeah, what would that look like? That's a great question. I think the best aspect of baseball tonight was it was a smart show. Yeah. I think at its apex, it was appealing to people who were intelligent, knowledgeable baseball fans, who were looking for something beyond just the surface, 
of this team won, this team lost. Yeah. And I think, again, it's the analysts and the producers that work with those guys to extract and say, give me your knowledge, give me this fountain that I can drink from. And, like, some of those breakdowns guys would do, like, when you're talking about Mulder, like, those guys could watch a half inning, like, guys ah, got nothing tonight. Like, Clarenville's incredible. Like, and the, they know who to hire. They bring in other ex-jocks who never make it on air. They told me names, like, this person, like, wow, that guy's a good player. They're like, yeah. he sucked. Right. But Glenville, awesome. Oh, I'm Eddie, right. awesome. Core, yeah. awesome. Right. They're just so analytical, yeah. and they're able to convey that information in such an efficient manner, and it's succinct, and, and it's know. memorable. Like yeah. it's, You're right. And I think TV, like many jobs, when you feel it, you can feel it. And there were some shows that I'm like, man, these guys are good. Like, we're, we're rolling tonight. It's 2.30 in the morning, and no one's watching. We're going to point, too. But, man, these guys are good. And nobody ever mailed it in. Like, that sounds like a cliche, but it's true. I never, like, listen, off air, we're all dragging and complaining. That, that's true. But I don't. I never felt like on the air. I'm like, oh god, let's just get through this thing. No, on air, that's the fun part. That's what you're waiting for. It's just sitting there, <laughs> right? The rest of it, we're complaining to yeah. no end. Uh, what's the what's web gem, Eddie? What's the web gem, Jimmy? Web gem. <laughs> it's intelligent television. Trying to glow up on here from the studio, and then it results in yeah. cake. Intelligent Dallas Braden getting whacked. <laughs> Dallas, I ruined Dallas Braden's vest. It, it, no, he no longer wears it because it got, there was cake all over it because it ended it's just up. It's such a bizarre moment. <laughs> like, that goes to Phil Orleans, our boss, because he was always like, ah, oh, be unpredictable. Be, get, what was it? Get comfortable being uncomfortable. And we're like, great, inmates running the asylum Perfect. now. So Derek Hardy's going to have a lobster. <laughs> <laughs> right, he called him Shell, I think, or Kurt Jr. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, the fact that some of these things even happened. Like, you and I are going to be laughing at some old folks home it's, Well, and I, I, I was... Talk, when Ravi was on the podcast, I pointed out to him that the first show that I did was him and Shillian Crock. Oh, that's, you know, <laughs> that's tough. And, 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 right, and, and and the thing is, like, you know, I, especially Shilling, I think he has a certain reputation or whatever. He can be wonderful to get along with, and it yeah. can be great, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, but you know, Shilling can be tough. Crock sure. can be tough. And Ravage. A teddy bear, but when you don't know him... Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Carl makes you work for his affection. He makes you work. He does not... Like, you and I are ingratiating from the beginning. Right. But, but he will not... He's not extending his arm, man, arm around you. Like, it's just like, hey... I think the first six months I worked at baseball, I was just like, hey, Carl, hey, I'm in, all right, good. Like, that's it. Like, and it wasn't a bad thing. It was just like, you, you've got to work a little bit yeah. for my trust, which is probably a better way to live life. What I, I do so. is stupid. Like, I'm immediately treating them like my neighbor, and then if they let you down, you go, I can't go back to before. I remember one time when I was an associate producer at TSM, Mark Millier, who's still there. Yeah. He said to me, he goes, yeah, you, you, listen, you're too nice from the beginning. And he goes, eventually, if you're in a position of authority, then people won't respect you. So you've got to be a little bit lukewarm at first. Interesting. And then work to give them some effect. But what if it's not your personality? That's what I say. I go, I just can't do that. I've been in positions of authority. I've been, like, an editor and stuff before. I'm I'm the same. I don't know. know, I'm not going to, like, sugarcoat things. Like, if you really f*** your article, I won't be mean about it. I'll be like, well, you got to fix this. But I, I just... I don't know. It, it's, it's almost weird. Like, if you try to be the hard-ass and you're not, like, that comes across as even more fake. That's true. But one of my biggest flaws, I don't know if you have this. I don't think you do. You're, you're better than me in this department. But, you know, it's like a telltale sign of what you should do, which is it's better to be honest than to be nice. But I'm, like, 9 hours of the time, I'm better to be nice than be honest. I, I have trouble. I don't know what, maybe that's my insecurity. You can, you can get like. most of the way that, you know, you can, you can tell a 95% truth. And, and be nice. That's doable. I think that that's my... my yeah, I guess I'd have to go compliment If you go, hey, listen, man, I know you're trying real hard. we got to do a better job with this. But I really like what you did over here, so keep that Yeah, up. yeah. I, think that, well, I really that like I what you do. did over here. Right. Yeah, that's okay. But, that, you know, that's just a management style thing. I don't, I don't know. Like, thank God I could, I could never be in management. I don't... I could never manage people. But... 
you know, you would have said that about Havens, too. Like, you would have been like, well, he's smart, but he's, you know, and right. he was, and, and he's the guy who solicits more input than anybody. They all do. Yeah. But he's like, tell me, like, especially me, because I'm, we're, we're, we're alike. Yeah, yeah, So you bring me and be like, okay, we're going to do the Thursday show. Like, we start emailing a week in advance. Right. Let's do this and this and this and this. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, and he's enthusiastic about it or whatever. Right. You're just staying true to yourself. Yeah, I guess that's true. Eventually, you kind of find your rhythm, whatever you need to find. You don't need to be a hard ass to be successful. No. And you couldn't You couldn't try to be McQuaid. There's only one McQuaid. You couldn't. Not that he's a hard ass, but you just couldn't adopt that personality. But aren't you sensitive to criticism, like me? Yeah, but I still need it. I, like, I, I definitely want praise, too. Yeah. But I want to know if I... And there are very few... I'm very fortunate. I don't think I've had too many bosses in my life in any field who've just been super harsh about their criticism. They can be very direct, but there's no ad hominems. There's yeah. no anything like that. You're right. You can give it to me. Just like, you know, if it's... You f***ed up and you are a f***ed up, that's no good. That's a good point. If it's personal, then I get upset. But if they go, hey, this... And you're right. Mike has done that with me with video. Like, hey, this was not good because you did this. This is what you need to do a better job. Yeah, and then construction. you go, right? That, that's constructive. Yeah, no problem. Whatever you want to do. I think it's harder when it's subjective. They, they say, "Hey, Joe, I just didn't like that joke." Because I'm like, "Well, whatever. Like, maybe your sense of humor sucks." Was it right, Phil? The bashing boy chick. One of them said, "Yeah, don't bashing do boy chick." Yeah. One of them said, "Don't do it anymore." A Jock Peterson. Yeah, it was Jock Peterson. Yeah, it was great. And, well, I love it. Right. Kathy Leo Grandy loves it. <laughs> Kathy Leo <laughs> Grandy is the best. Uh, yeah, but I don't remember if it was Phil or somebody, but they go, eh, it's not the best. They weren't mean about it, but I'm like, I think it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really care. Well, that's what I think. Like, I remember one of my first shifts in ESPN News, I said something about the end of a game, and I said it was the best twist in the usual suspects. Yeah. And the coordinating producer goes, I'd go Just with... because you have bad movie taste. I, they, they said to me, they go, well, top ten movie. They go, I think you should change it to, uh, you know, more shocking than the surprise ending of Lost. And I was like, but I don't watch Lost. Lost like, sucks. And they go, no, Lost is much more contemporary. I'm like, I don't care. I think people have seen The Usual Suspects. And Neil Everett, who I love, gave me the best advice. Because I said, you know, man, I go, you know when I knew that I loved you? And I said, my brother was watching you. Because he lives in Wisconsin. before I lived in America. And he, he texted me, because you never believe this. Neil Everett said on a highlight, he'll take him across the street to Mitch and Murray, which is a Glenn Gray, Glenn Ross reference. I like, are you kidding? And I was like, yeah. I go, that guy is the greatest sports catcher of all time. <laughs> and when I met him, I told him that. And he goes... You know, it kind of like you're bashing Butcher. He goes, yeah, a couple of producers, they didn't like that. And I said, why? And they go, well, what's it from? And I go, it's from Glenn Carey, Glenn Ross. They go, I've never heard of it. People don't know what that is. And I was like, well, I don't care. And Neil said this is the truest thing he's ever said. He goes, yeah, but I get it. So that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if you're on It doesn't matter. <laughs> I get it. So whatever. Also, so this is a Bill James thing, too. Bill James used to say you never talk to the lowest common denominator. You flatter your readers. You assume that they're going to come along in your wavelength. Because what happens is... Often, not always. And we're, this is going to lead me into, like, the big question. But anyway. Yeah. What is the meaning of life? No. <laughs> oh, sorry. But, um, Macintosh toffee versus arrow. I'm like, oh, God. It's a tough one. Right. Um, no, that Bill James wants you to flatter people because what, what should happen if things are going well is if you do it in the right way, then the people that don't know what you're talking about are going to be really interested. They'll be like, I want to learn. Like, I, you're giving me this stat, or you're telling me this thing, or you're making a movie reference or whatever. Yeah. I really like you, Adnan. Now I'm going to, like, Google, you know. Right. I'm walking here. Sure. You're 22 years old. You, you know, that movie's way before your time. Right. But, and you'll go see it, but, oh, it's a great movie. You've made them see one of the greatest movies of all time. Right. It's great, and it's your trademark or whatever. And the five people that do get on it, maybe I'm walking they're gonna, here. They're going to love you. Forever. This guy's the best. Forever. Right. 
They're, this guy's the I, best. I really do try to do that, and I think that because I, I'm an, for better or for worse, I'm an analytical guy. Right. You have no choice but to do that. You can't. You, you can only dumb it down. So I'm definitely not trying to talk about people's heads. Absolutely not. Right. I try to speak English. I try to be concise or whatever. But I'm also not going to insult them because what happens is. Yeah, maybe you can hook a couple more people that way, but then the people that are in your tribe are like, what the f*** are you doing? Like, now you're infantilizing it. That's no good. Don't right. do that. You're used to infantilizing. Yeah. That's thanks. another one I find with writers. Keith Lawson to me, because I was like, I like the fact that you guys both have great vocabularies, and you're not afraid to show that. And he's like, well, yeah. He goes, like, Keith goes, listen, every article I'll put at least one word that I'm like, yeah, that's like a thesaurus word, but like, whatever. I get it. And the people that get it will get it. And those that don't do what I used to do when I was in high school, and I would read writers, you look it up exactly some of the reference. I'm like, oh, like with my movie reviews, people are like, why can't you just say it was a good movie? I'm like, why can't I write that I thought his performance was insufferable? Like that's just a better way of saying it to me. It, that, it, that's it. It's, to me, it's about a better way of saying it. That, that the English right. every language is rich, and so you have all kinds of ways, and you just right. you pick on the old word, and I, I don't I don't think about the word. I just I just say. What is words. your favorite word? To pull a James Lipton inside. All my favorite word. words are in French. Incroyable. Uh, no, I like words. Sorry, I like words that have like a. Sound to them, Billy. Right. Tabernak. That, yes. <laughs> There's two. And they both have a lot of consonants. Very few vowels. They're only four letter words, but yeah. they have like the hard consonant sounds. Right. One is pneu. Pneu is a tire. <laughs> P N E U. Pneu. Fantastic. Pneu. And the other one is vrac. You know what vrac means? Vrac. No, vrai is true. V R A I. You don't. Vrac is, doesn't go by itself. It's en vrac, which means in bulk. Vrac is bulk. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when you sound like I, I'm not a Star Trek fan, but I assume it's like what you would sound like if you were what Klingon or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah, so I like I like stuff like that. Sometimes I have a favorite English word. I like charismatic because it's just I think the word almost feels like you know it's a charismatic word. It's implies that, that's right. Like words that it sounds cool. what the meaning is. It's you know how it comes off the tongue. I guess right. Somebody uh, superfluous is not bad. I just find like I like using words people are not using enough. You know what I'm saying? Like, voluble. No, no one's using voluble enough. I remember Jack McCallum used garrulous, and I'm like, we got to bring back garrulous. Garrulous is pretty good. Right? Well, you go back, and it's, it's interesting by era, too. Like, I love some of the old sports. You know, I read, I read, uh, I didn't read Breaks of the Game until a couple years ago. Oh, Halberstam. Halberstam's the best. Yeah. Halberstam, first of all, is Halberstam, but secondly, he's writing in 1979. Right. People just speak differently in 1979. Right. By the way, there's some good now, like, you know, something, and obviously it's going to go out of style or whatever, but, like, lit is kind of good. Like, I, you know, <laughs> that's okay, too. I don't mind. It's lit right now. <laughs> Do you ever get depressed when you read those great writers like Halberstam or whoever your favorites are, Mordecai Richler, let's say? Do you ever great get... biography of Richler just came out, by the way. Oh, yeah? It just came out. My dad, my dad was just talking to me about it. I just saw my dad a couple days ago. He goes, yeah, read it. just got his gifts, like, 750 pages. I'm, I'm guessing, like, huge cad. Like, like difficult, arrogant... Yeah, bullying. But the thing that my dad said, which was interesting, to me, we're going off topic with it. Surprise, surprise. Right. The thing that my dad said, which was interesting, was, and I think this maybe holds true for a lot of us. You pick up on your own tribe stuff. Yeah, yeah. Except from the fact that it's the actual tribe. Sure. Richler grew up in Montreal. Right. So the city is one is the main protagonist of the book. It's like he ate here, he did this, he walked these streets. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. And my dad is not that much younger than him, or yeah, younger than him also. So like. It's era specific too. Like with me, okay, Rich was 
yeah, of course, I don't know, or whatever. But if there was some 40-year-old doppelganger of me who was the next Leonard Cohen or whatever, and I really grew up in Montreal, like, I'd be like, oh, this, 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 and something about that. Right. It really resonated. Anyway. Because I feel some Canadian writers have like, man, like, I guess Margaret Atwood's a national treasure, but I can't stand this stuff. Even like Farley yeah. Mowat as a kid, like I don't, maybe now I read it, I'd appreciate it, but I was like, okay, I got it. Sure, it's cold, there's a wolf, like whatever. <laughs> like a I, wolf, whatever. Right, like the writer, like, I love Mammoth, because Mammoth's like gutter poetry, you know what I mean? Like he's just, man, oh, you, you were going to ask me if you if I was intimidated by any of the great Oh yeah, so, so yeah, so, what, so when you, this is the one, if you read like, I don't know, Duddy Kravitz or whatever. Yeah. Do you find it inspiring because you go, man, this is such good writing? Or do you get depressed because you go, man, this is such good writing, I can never touch this. I have to tell you. <laughs> I consume art like a fan. I watch, I read a book the same way that I watch a baseball game. I don't think I'm also a writer. I'm like, this is great. It's the same, like, I, I, I don't, by extension, then say the same way that I couldn't do what Mike Trout does, I couldn't do what Richler does. Right. It's just that I'm a consumer. I never, I'm never reading for, I'm never purposely reading for think, tricks that I can learn, anything like that. I'm reading for enjoyment. That's it. That's all. Nothing else. So, you don't so maybe things. in some abstract way, five years later, I'll be like, oh, yeah, maybe I got a little something out of that and I can put it in my repertoire. Yeah. Mostly I'm just like, I like reading. It's just consumption. It's entertaining. It's, it's just consumption. Thing. All of it. That's a big thing. Like, remember as we were kids, how many sports books you'd read? And now I'm like, I, I, I can't. I remember. Like, if I like, get sent sports. I get asked to review sports, which is a huge. Right. I, I reviewed uh, uh, Verducci's book for the Wall Street Journal. Nice. That's a big thing. Right. But then I'm like, well, gee, but I'd like to read this thing too. You know, this right. book about Kennedy or the Peloponnesian War or whatever right. the hell. Like, I forced myself. I used to always alternate. I go one sports book, then a non-sports book. Like, in my 20s, I'm like, well, it's part of your job. You should know these things. Yeah. And now I'm like, yeah, I heard Jane Levy's Kofax book is great, but I'm like, I got it, man. It is pretty good. Right? Like, <laughs> the last six years, incredible. Like, you know, uh, very quiet, intrinsic, yeah. Jewish, Yom Kippur, I got it. Like, I'm like, well, what, what possibly can I learn from this? I'd rather, like you said, just read something completely off the grid. I like fiction. I like short books. Yeah. I like, you know what I mean? Just stick with what you know. Giving you a book. Wait, wait. We, we both loved uh, Ian. Ian Reid's book. Perfect. Short and fiction. Short fiction. So, I go, Did boom. you read it in one sitting? Uh, two I days. One, I read I went, I'm like, this thing is haunting. Like, I'm still heroin. thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm thinking of ending things. Like, what a great title. Like, I went back and I, I had a feeling. Like I didn't know it would end like that, but I was like, I bet that there's something going on with this title. Right. But I didn't know what. But I think the key is to have smart people around you who know your taste. Because Keith Law is a you know, voracious reader. Yeah, he yeah. a book a week. And I just said to him, I go, short fiction. He goes, okay. So now like, he'll, just, he'll be like, oh, yeah, you might like this title. This might be The same way that some guy with a restaurant or whatever. Right. Which, by the way, is also Keith. Right. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's just a renaissance man. Because yeah. I find that trick, Bill, go, what's a good movie? I'm like, well, I don't know what your tastes are. I don't know. People tweet me, like, hey, what's a good movie? What's good on Netflix? What? Tell me what you like, and then I can try to find something in that vein. It's so subjective. What if somebody wouldn't give you criteria? What if, like, for some reason you couldn't beat it out of them? And you said, and they said, give me a good movie. Uh, yeah, I give a few. I go, listen, if your tastes are more highbrow, there's this Iranian film called The Separation, which is brilliant. Okay. If you don't like foreign films... Hey, I think the hangover is really funny. <laughs> like, I would, I would try to give them a spectrum. Basically the same thing. Because I get these people go, oh man, you're so highbrow with your taste. And I'm like, listen, The Naked Gun, one of my favorite movies. Okay, like, all of us can appreciate movies that are, that are off the grid. Like, but, but, movies that perhaps have the stench of art just appeal more to me. I think there's something about, not so much art for me, but it's something about, I know you haven't seen this. That's why I'm going to recommend it. Right. 
Like, I always recommend, there's a BBC show, it was six episodes, yeah. called State of Play. There was a movie called State of Play as well, it was right. so-so. Yeah. The show is a phenomenal show. Because right. if somebody says recommend a show to me, like, go see Game of Thrones, okay. Right. Go see Big or Bad, okay. Right, yeah, exactly. But nobody's seen State of Play, and they'll see it, they go, fuck, it's amazing. So there's something about being a maven that right. is attractive to people or whatever, and you can't help yourself. Also, it's a waste of my time, waste of their time, so you should see Godfather. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. It, it, that's true. Because sometimes you're like, I, you're right. It, it's obvious that you would have seen those But I think classics. younger folks, you'd be surprised. Not painting a huge brush with younger folks, but like, yeah. I don't know that it's like, well, even like music. I don't know that everybody knows the Beatles that well if they're 20 years old. Maybe they don't know The Godfather. No, that's true. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get better about not assuming things. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm oldish. I'm in my 40s. It's a different thing. Is it true that you become a better writer if you read great writers? Or is that just like... Fooey. Because I'll listen, Jeff Bevere is a great film critic for years, Toronto Star. And I would read his stuff and I'm like, never in a million years could I be that smart. He said Nick Nolte has a voice like a talking ashtray. <laughs> <laughs> that is beyond brilliant. <coughs> I could never come up with it. Oh my god. Right? Like I got a decent vocabulary. I could describe something as cloying. I could hammer Love Actually or Forrest Gump and call it maudlin and, you yeah. know. But I'm like, I could never think Nick Nolte has a voice like a talking ashtray. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's so good. David Mamet Heist, he's so cool when he goes to bed, sheep count him. Like, I could never think of that. He's quiet as an ant pissing on cotton. Like, I could never... <laughs> like, how do you... How do these guys come up with this stuff, man? Like, I I used to think that. Like, oh, great writers read other great writers. I'm like, yeah, but I think some guys just have a gift, man. How do you become a better writer? I think everything is reps. Right, just keep writing, writing, whatever it is. Yeah. Different subject matter? It helps... Well... Because you have interests beyond sports, obviously. Right, but I mean, there's a certain amount of mastery. Like, if you are a baseball writer, whatever you are, you do it enough, you could just... You all... The other thing is that, you know, if you're a non-fiction writer, whether you're a book writer or you're whatever writer... Yeah. Institutional knowledge matters a lot. By the way, it matters for TV, too. However stiff or whatever I might be on TV, if you put me on baseball tonight, not only can I go in on this thing, but if somebody brings up Three Finger Brown, I'll be like, I got you. I used right. to... I know all about Three Finger Brown. Like I'm Mordecai. <laughs> right, for sure. So I, I think there's a lot of that. So I, I think it's reps. You know, like people ask me for younger sure. writers, I, what do you do? Read a lot, write a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I, I, I really, I think there are five talented people in the world in every field. Five. That's it. Like, I just don't think there are that many people that, you have some talent. Like, yeah. But like the, I the Michael Jordans? Yes. No, man. You know, like, you just kind of, you, you you hammer away at it. Yes, you know? I do agree with you on that. But I think that someone should not be deterred by the brilliance of another. No. Someone should not say, like, man, I'll never be as good as him, so I, why would I even bother? Because I agree with you. I think a workmanlike attitude and persistence and being good to others will take you a long way. In television, and I can maybe, have... Maybe you're not going to be the number one in your industry, but if you end up the number four, you're, that's huge. That's right. amazing. You're going to make good money. You'll have notoriety and all that Correct. stuff. Correct. Maybe Oberman is the Michael Jordan of our industry. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Like, and that's the thing. If people say to me, hey, do you ever have a perfect show? Or do you think... You're, I did no, of course not. But I feel pretty confident. Even on my worst day, yeah. you wake me up, I can get you a stand-up double. Right? Yeah. I can't get you a great show, but on my, on my worst, I'm like, I, I can get you a point of point. After I, 15 years of being on air, pretty sure I can get you point A to point B. For me, it's a, it's a school term. I say like. It's a, you know, like I'm trying for B plus or better, basically. Right. I, I uh... People, John Anderson used to always laugh, because I would mention, like, grade nine. He goes, what a giveaway, you're Canadian. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I never understood it. Like, oh, sorry, freshman, junior, sophomore, like, whatever, man. Grade nine. The, Remember uh, OAC? <laughs> grade 13? We're like, what? You guys went to high school for five years? C-Jeff in our case. C-Jeff. Um, <laughs> man, what a waste of time that was. Uh, the, the, um... I guess the B plus stuff. Oh, um, 
I got into a conversation on Twitter about uh, no-hitters and stuff like that. Have you ever seen a no-hitter? Have you ever this? Have you ever that? Right. And some person brought up Matt Cain and said, like, what was your reaction to Matt, Matt Cain? Wow, what a great game that was. And I quote tweeted and I said, the Matt Cain game is the ever, only th- ever time I've ever written drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I was at a bar in New York. Ever. This raises a great point because I said to someone, I go like, Hemingway. Right, but but I said, they go, yeah. you just got to get blitzed because you lose inhibition and you just let it fly. I don't have an ambition as a writer. Yeah, I don't. I think it's a poor philosophy because I. My view then is, if you have to get drunk to do it, what happens when there's no booze? Well, you can't. Maybe always... Hemingway was always drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Perpetually blitzed. Perpetually I asked Keith Law. I said, Hemingway overrated, underrated, or properly rated? He goes, overrated. I said, many consider him the greatest of the American century. Like, yeah, he goes, actually it depends on the book. I think he goes. Listen, his three greats. He goes, if you went Old Man of the Sea. For whom the bell tolls, farewell our arms break. I got goes, but I'm telling there's a lot of crap. Keith goes, you, you tell me Islands in the Stream's a good book? Try reading that. I wrote an article about bullfighting. I went to, uh, I used to write for a men's magazine. It was Penthouse sent me to Madrid to write about bullfighting. Cool right. assignment. Yeah. By the way, I was horrified. And I hated yeah, it. I know, yeah, but I know. Madrid's rad, and that was great. Sure. I read Death in the Afternoon. Right. Not, not a top three, or not a notoriety top three. Sure, but bullfighting, it's right. Yeah. Ultimate masculinity whatever and you know it's it's very Hemingway yeah it's pretty good it's, it's you know it's, right. it's pretty and, and I uh, my style of writing whatever my subject matter is is to write short and concise and no flowery yeah, words I could say in, infant, infantile or whatever but I wouldn't say like the stream reminds me of the da, da, da. Like, yeah, that, I don't I mean, even know how to do that right uh so, you know, and, and I was trained, like, I, I used to be a stock market writer, we're, we're trained to be concise, because yeah. the subject matter is complicated. I've always written about complicated stuff. Right, and the, the key is that it's not simplistic, because you're still really observant. Well, thanks, I mean, that, but that's the goal, is you want to make it, you want to make, you want to make it accessible to people without talking down to them, it goes to the Bill James thing. Right. Yeah. Because the Expos book, I'm like, you said, it's not ornate or unnecessarily flowery, <laughs> but it's perceptive, it's observant. I learned about these people. I was like, hey, Donald Sutherland is like this crazy Expos fan. Like, huge Expos fan. Like, like the, the, that story was bananas. Like, he's on set at, like, ordinary people. And he'd have to he's call like in. Indonesia calling. Yeah, right. Totally. And he has to listen to the play-by-play. And it's like, that is fanaticism. That's a fan. It would cost, like, $800 to do that. Like, I, I couldn't. That story blew my mind. Yeah. It's just, and, and I think that that's, Maybe that's the common denominator. You know, you talked about, like, what does it take to be a good broadcaster? What does it take to be a good broadcaster? Right. You're telling stories, right? However you want to tell your story, right. just keep in mind what you're trying to do. And, and I do, again, I agree, like, the whole thing about, you know, this is for me, a mock in here is for me. Yeah. But you are still telling a story. Right. And you have to figure out the way to do that. So that that takes crafting or whatever. But, yeah, it's going back to the, the five talented thing. Like, I, I just, if you're a younger person or whatever, just, like, don't get discouraged. Like, right. You know, you have some baseline intelligence or whatever. Yeah. Let's just roll with it. Like, it'll be fine. Things work out. That's my biggest thing. At the end of the pod, and I know we're not there. We still have another two hours yeah, to go. But at the end of the pod, you always ask for advice. Yes. And I have another one that I'll use later for yeah. that when you ask me that. But one that I tell everybody, two words, thick skin. Like pe- oh, yeah. People try to destroy you now. Like, people, they want nothing more than to just blow you away. So when someone says, what's it take to be a good broadcaster? I could say be a great writer. I could say be knowledgeable about all sports. But I'm like, honestly, man, thick skin. Because the amount of discouragement you're going to... In the past, it was just a station director going, ah, not for me. Or not getting back to the tape. Now, with the Twitter and the Instagram and the Facebook, there's so many people who are just, just <laughs> annihilating you. 
thick-skinned man. And, and people, my friends would describe me as sensitive. Like, you're a pretty sensitive guy. And I'm like, hey, I can't be that sensitive. The other crap that I got to hear from industry. people, like, you cannot be. With your background. Sure, exactly. Like, I'm, I'm more hardened because I'm a minority, because yeah. the way my religion is portrayed, etc. I'm like, dude, you've got to have thick skin. And it's tough sometimes. You know, like crawl up in a ball and cry. <laughs> oh, no. One thing which I realized recently, I am ambitious but not competitive. See, that's a great trait. I didn't even realize that until recently. I am trying everything in my power to try to help people. Like, if somebody loses a job or whatever, like, right. what can I do? Give me, here's a Rolodex. Can I make a phone call? What can I do for you? That person might end up competing against me. I don't give a yeah, I think that we. I, I'm desperate for people to. I want us all to succeed. That's a stupid, idealistic, whatever. Twelve year old. That's very Canadian of you. I like it. It's I, I guess, but if somebody tells me that I'm not good enough or whatever, I can do it. Right. Not that I'm competitive. Yes. I'm ambitious, and in this industry, ambition doesn't always work because you have to work within the context of the team. Oh, are you too? Oh, you know, who are you to say this? We have 50 people working here. Why should you get this thing or whatever? Like. Right. Why, what special treatment? I just believe that I can. I believe in my heart that I can do it, and I know that I think I can be good. <coughs> that, that's a really weird thing, which I just like very recently. I just came to that realization. That's pretty good. I like that ambitious without very being, ambitious. Because you're right. Sometimes I'm like maybe I'm my own worst enemy, and it's some of what you're saying. I'm always trying to like praise others, and I'm not doing it. I'm not calculating. I'm like, no, this guy's really good. Like that's he's it. he's better than me. Like I remember one time I was talking to Phil Orleans, our boss. I'd like to do more play by play, but I'm like, you know what? Dave Fleming's better than me. John Shami's better than me. Like, like I mean, these guys are great. Like, I, I to say anything else would be foolish. But I'd still like to get the opportunity to do it. I, I think I can improve. I think I can get better. Yeah. And so sometimes I'm like, maybe I'm my own biggest flaw. But then I think, no, if I was a manager and I had an employee who was always praising others, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I, I respect that this guy is not insecure that he feels like he needs to belittle others, that apparently he's confident enough in his abilities 100%. that he's being praiseworthy. So I, I hope that my superiors see it that way. I don't know if that's always the case. How are you liking them play by play? It's great, man. Like, it's one of those... That I remember I, the first time you did spring training game, we talked right. about you. It's like, spring <laughs> training, that's cool. Like, <laughs> right. But I remember being scared because I'm like, I don't have any skill set for it. Like, with anchoring, at least reps. I've done it so... Exactly, reps. With anchor, like, I've done so many shows. I've been in so many ridiculous situations. I'm like, we'll get through this thing. Whereas play, play, I'm like, I don't... Like, what happens? Like, I remember asking Sud, I'm like, Rick Sutcliffe, I'm like, well, like, I don't... This might be embarrassing. He's like, no, what is it? I go, when I'm watching a game, like, I can never tell when the ball's out. He said, what do you mean? Like, when the ball gets hit, I'm like, it's gone! I'm like, no, no. Like, remember, as kids, we used to always say, Fergie did. Fergie Oliver. So my buddy's like, oh, yeah, Fergie Oliver. He screws up with the Blue Jays' calls. Too like, high, I, too far. Right, yeah, <laughs> Fergie did. And I'm like, like I, don't, I could never have done it. And then he was like, no, it's not that. And I'm, I asked people, and they go, okay, A, watch the outfielders. Okay, like, as soon as they turn, they, they don't move. That means yeah. it's gone. So there's one. And two... You don't say it immediately. You say, that ball's hit well, deep to right, and then if it, that buys you enough time that you can tell. And that actually builds drama. It's a, it's a good device. Right. You would never just go, yeah, that one's gone. Like, this is so <laughs> I like, like, Joe Buck is phenomenal, right? He's, there's nobody better at baseball player play. And I'm like, Joe Buck is always like, it's, just, it's back, track, at the wall, gone. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, like he gives himself enough time to see it and go from there. My favorite play-by-play call ever, mm. and Joe mentioned it in his book, which is fabulous. People should read like Yeah, yeah. Joe is so funny. I've never met him. I, I want to meet him one day. He's one of my I favorites. I love like, doing the podcast with him. Like you mentioned five guys. Like I think Joe Buck's right there with Overman. Like in his crap that I play, he's awesome. I will never understand the amount of vitriol that guy gets. I think he's brilliant. 
I think he's that's the best Joe Buck hates your team. I think he's knowledgeable. I think he's intelligent. I think he's funny as hell. I think he's great with his analysts. Like, he's holding back how funny he is. Or, right. That's why the book was so illuminating. Because yeah. you're like, man, this guy's really funny. And then with your podcast, I'm like, no, this guy's legit uh, uh, look, funny. Hey, we spent the day. We did the Brockmire thing. Right. Like, not just funny, but like... Oh, no, like, like Croc- dirty funny. Right, yeah, yeah. John Crocs said to me, he goes, oh, bro, <laughs> you blow your mind here. So oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm, like, good. relatively genteel with my humor. I don't mind sure. a little bit the sex jokes. I don't mind other people, though. Sure. Yeah. So when, when he comes, I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I, that's my goal. I want to hang out with Joe Buck for a day. Yeah. But, um... It's one of my favorite sports memories, not related to Canada, but I was 13. I really loved baseball from this moment on. 91 World Series. Twins, Braves, worst to first, one of the greatest World oh, Series yeah. ever. Every game, one run. Jack Buck's calling the games. Pat O'Brien hosting it. Like O'Brien. I just thought every element of it, like the Herbeck and like the Lonnie Smith getting faked and like there's just and the, there was no better subplot than Kirby Puckett, this bowling ball of a guy yeah. who was struggling terribly. And then in game six, says before the game. Guy's going on my back. We're going to win this thing. Makes a spectacular catch. And then that home run. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I can't articulate it well. My brother always like, man, I don't understand why you love that home run so much. He's like, why do you love the call so much? I'm like, I just, I just love it. Hit deep for Mitchell. And we'll see you tomorrow night. And I would try to think, like, maybe it's the, the enthusiasm of Buck. Maybe it's the <coughs> sick nature of it. Maybe it's the fact that literally if the ball goes, it cuts to Kirby. And this guy, has got his arms that straight. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, it's like he's, the weight of the emotion's gone. But Joe nailed it. In his book, he said, this is why it's such a great call. He said, my dad called it right away. And he goes, in play-by-play, that's the biggest trick. And, that's, you know, Joe took so much heat over, like, the Tyree catch. You're like, why were you not going berserk? And he said, because you want to be accurate first. And you want to just make you sure. Never like, caught it. Right, you never caught it. you got to make sure, like, okay, it's a catch. And then I guess you can go berserk. Mm-hmm. But the worst thing is if you Fergie it. God bless Fergie Albert. I don't even know how much he used to do this. But as a kid, I thought he did it all the time. But if you, if you miss the call, and he goes, my dad nailed it. Like, he knew right away. And he goes, you know how hard that call was? The plexiglass, the ball had to clear the plexiglass, yeah. plus it's a white ball and all those homer hankies. And he goes, he didn't flinch at all. Like, it was a big-time moment in a World Series, which at the time I thought it was awesome, but Joe tells the book his dad was struggling, didn't get along with McCarver. Like, you know, it was not a good situation. It was pretty much untenable. And he was in that moment, that was an MVP moment. Like, that was an A-plus call. And I'm like, it is a phenomenal call. Like, I go back and watch it all the time. Adam Amin, who does a great job, play-by-play, ESPN, he goes, well, I got one. He goes, there's Joe Buck. i got to find the game. I obviously do it offhand, but it's a Yankees-Red Sox game. It's like, you know, 3 4 the height of it. Joe Buck didn't <coughs> say a word. First, for, for an entire at-bat. Whoa. It's the first batter of the game. Uh, it was Johnny Damon. And, I, you know, whatever. Yankee, I don't even know. First pitch, I think it's Yankees. Here we go. And then, strike one. And the crowd just going for Ball one. He doesn't say a word. Wow. And even to the point the ball grounds out to like second, throw to first, still said nothing. I thought, I'm like, well, at least he says the call. He goes, no, not like Mark Bellhorn over to Millar. It was just like, nope, not that. And then just after the play was done, it was like, and in steps the next batter. I'm like, that takes guts. To be like, this crowd is going bananas. Wow. I'm not saying anything. Wow. You've got to look it up. I'm telling you, I, I did not agree, believe that it actually existed. Well, Scully's the guy. For letting the audience breathe, there's nobody better. Right. Just let the picture come to you. And I've learned that now with that play. Before you were like, you've got to always, you've got to have information, stats, nuggets. It's very different than radio, too. No doubt. If I think radio, radio, I think it'd be impossible because you've got to say so much. I could I never do it. if you're new to it. Yeah, I could never do it. I, I think radio that. would be the place where you truly do need to go to Sheboygan and like cut your teeth. And no then. doubt. I could never do radio. But TV, you go, again, I've got Kirchin, I've got David Ross, I've got Eddie Perez. Like, just let these guys do the heavy lifting. I'm just here to pick and pop, supplement where need be. And then if there's a big home run, then you go preserve. Brad Doherty. 
Uh, all right, well, a couple more. So, um, yeah, and this is th- this is the big one, right? So you mentioned Jamie Horowitz. Yeah. So Jamie gained a lot of notoriety at ESPN for the Embrace Debate thing. Right. Because Fox, it's controversy. There's other stuff going on that's not part of this conversation. Sure. Whatever. It's it's an interesting thing because I know that's not like you know. I'm not looking for you to comment negatively or positively or whatever. But sure. I, it's not maybe not your favorite thing to have people being loud at each other or whatever. Sure. But, you know, we just talked about the fact that people disagree like that. That is absolutely good television. Yeah. Can we get to... I mean, is this it? Like, is this the only way for highlight shows, for studio TV or whatever to work? Is there just takes, takes, takes over the top? Because, like, SportsCenter's not what it was. Things have changed. Highlight shows right. are not what they were. Baseball Tonight's not... It doesn't... It's right. one-fifth of Baseball Tonight's before. Right. Does it just have to come with that kind of over-the-top approach? And if not, and you're running the show, right. what's the approach? You know, like Max Bradoff said to me, my good friend at ESPN, he's unbelievable. He said to me, he goes, you're an endangered species. And I'm like, what, Canadians? We're like, we're deporting us now? He goes, no, no. He said, a male studio host. <coughs> goes, There's not many of you going to be left. He goes, listen, Beatles killing it on NBA. He goes, you know, Carissa Thompson likes like they're they're smart, they're young, they're engaging, they're pretty, etc. He goes, like, guys like you, like, hey man, like well, we don't need we don't need Burke. It's only a matter of time. He goes, you, Reese Davis, Chris Connolly. There's a few, but he goes, and so then I got worried because I said, to me, it's all about live games. Like that will never dissipate. The, the people's enthusiasm. That's why yes, and pension, exactly. Due respect to. All of us, right. all of you, right? At the end of the day, they're there to watch the game. So, as long as I'm doing the halftime for Ohio State, Michigan, then I'll have a job because somebody does have to narrate and give the sponsorship and give a nugget on what else is happening. Cool to bands, me. I don't know. I can watch a <laughs> it's just a band the whole time. I've been to college football games; pretty entertaining. So, studio shows, I don't know where that's going to evolve to because you're right. It seems like the appetite is more towards that, which maybe I'm just not a fan of as much because I can't do it. Like I. You know, I've hosted a bunch of radio, and I'm sure the bosses, you know, have either said to me or said to others, like, hey, we like him, but he's just not outspoken enough. Like, he's not opinionated enough. And, I'm, and again, to so go back to your point, I'm like, yeah, but I can only do me. Like, when I'm on the radio, I hope people think, hey, this guy's fun, and he's thoughtful, and he's versatile, and he gives different opinions on different subjects. But I'm not going to be the guy going, hey, the Warriors are a joke. They're never going to be as good as the Bulls. Or right. LeBron James is overrated. He can never sniff Michael Jordan's shock. Well, that's just not who I am. And I, to do otherwise would be contrived. So that's where I do wonder with radio. I'm like, maybe I'm just not a good fit for it. Russillo did a great I was going to say, Russillo is like the, the platonic ideal. Right. He comes at it hard. Right. But they're smart takes. Right. He's, he's not actually, faking it. Right. He's like thoughtful and measured and analytic. But when he brings the heat, he'll bring the high art. But his, when he brings the heat, he's not saying preposterous things. It's not right. like LeBron sucks because there's no world in which that's true. Right. But he does his homework, he dials into it. Like, there's a guy, like, his prep with radio is unreal. Like, I could never do what he does. Like, watch the game, be that analytical, read different takes, and then form his own opinion. Like, mm-hmm. he ingests everything and then spits out something that's unique, which is a, such a great skill set. So, in answer to your question, I think as long as I'm a part of live games at ESPN, which I am with college football and college basketball, eight months later, <coughs> baseball, if I can do some more play-by-play, then that's good. Because you're right, studio show, like, it's it's sad to me to think, like you said, baseball tonight, one-fifth of what it was two years ago when it was you and me, like, that's crazy. Baseball like tonight, the, like, the early 90s. Right? Like, that's, that is a steep That was the change. show. Like, that, that's still shocking to me. So, I think if I was working on SportsCenter, 
And I, I, I would probably have more concern because, like you said, that it's just the, the landscape has shifted, just like the way it happened in newspapers, the auto industry. It's changed now for sports media. I don't know what the next form of it's going to be, um, but I don't think it's all embraced debate. Like I think there's a platform for that, and there's a market for that. Yeah. But I still think there's a market for thoughtful commentary and intelligent conversation. And listen, I don't get the people who just go, "Hey, nobody watches hots anymore. It's all on your phone." I'm like, listen, I'll watch the 15 second Jay's highlight just quickly. Okay, Justin Smoke went deep. But I like watching my highlights on my TV. Like I, I like a big mm-hmm. picture to watch highlights. Like I don't. I would never just want to watch all the baseball highlights of the day on my on my iPhone or my laptop. Like I'll watch quick pitch. I want to see Adi Wadi break it down. Stop full. It's great. Out. It's forty four minutes. I'm like great. Like I, mm-hmm. I think they do a great job. Like I'm caught up. I'm Another ready to go. Former victim of the Joe and Kerry podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's no matter where we go. So I'm like maybe maybe I'm a dinosaur <laughs> that I I still like that. Listen, man, I still but like. Hell's a good hybrid. The six is a good hybrid. I mean, these yes. can be done. Well, the six is not highlights. It's the six, but right, sure. Van Pelt's an example. Of, I can yeah. give you highlights, but I can do it in my own form, and I can showcase personality. And I think for a lot of years, ESPN probably wanted to go away from that. It was always emphasize the brand. Oberman said that he goes when that new studio got built. It was the first shot was just the studio and the anchors were these little specs. Okay. He goes, that's the company. He goes, they're four letters, sell the brand, not the people. And now it feels like it's shifted to sell the personalities, not the, not the brand. Which is an interesting thing, and I know you can't get too far into this, but like that's power and money talking. Right. If ESPN is the brand, then Overman's expendable. Then name your guy. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's inevitably a guy. Right. It's expendable. If it really is this, then and you lose this person, then you've damaged the brand. So it's it's really it's yeah. setting it up that way, and you know there have been many breakups over the years uh, that end up going that way, and sometimes it works out for the talent, sometimes it doesn't. But ESPN does persist. But I wonder, you know, I, that's another thing. I wonder how that's going to go. Like if that keeps happening, and people just say, "Well, I, I have a brand. I don't need to be ESPN." I wonder if that shifts the balance of power. I wonder if it's another network. I wonder if it becomes more fragmented. I mean, ESPN is still. A juggernaut, even if it's losing cable subscribers or whatever, who right. cares? It's still gigantic. Yeah, I get resistant to that narrative. People go, "Oh, they've lost this many subscribers. They have these layoffs. Like they're in free fall." It's all relative. It's all relative, and I'm like, "What else is beating us?" Like, listen, all due respect to Fox Sports One, but their numbers aren't close to ESPN. So it's it's not like it'd be one thing if ESPN if was viewed by people as on the decline and it had been usurped by something else. But if you want to argue ESPN's been hurt a little bit, that's fine. Or vulnerability has been exposed. Okay. But I don't see what's taking it over. Like, unless you told me millennials now are not as avid sports fans as guys like you and me and the next generation, then I'm like, okay, then that's a problem. If if America just doesn't have the same appetite for sports, then okay, that's different. But no, it's it's still there. It's just being consumed differently. Yeah, well, they like the NBA. They <laughs> <laughs> love the NBA. Yeah, that's that's the notable. You name literally every sport that you're on, except I've got to just say it. I need to get into the NBA. I'm yeah. in trouble. I, but I'm not such a dinosaur. Like, people now, all they want to do is stream movies and Netflix. And I'm like, I like going to the movies. All right? I'm still the guy. I, it's Friday night opening. I like to go to the movies, okay? I very rarely go to the movies anymore, but maybe it's because I have young kids and we don't get a sitter that much or whatever. Right. The last time I went to the movies was on my birthday. And we were t- we, we'd gone out for dinner. We did have a sitter. To, like, 11. Like, not that long, but, like, long enough. Yeah. And then kids were going to be asleep, so it didn't really matter. Yeah. And, uh... Okay, what's in the theater? Oh, I miss this. You this. loved Straight Outta Compton. Remember you tweeted about that? I did love Straight Outta Compton. That was a great movie. Giamatti, my guy. This was fantastic. And I just, NWA was like, I'm old enough. Like, I like the music. And um, we saw the Bourne movie, which was okay. Mm. But I I lived in L.A. when the stadium seating, first of all, it happened. Everything happens earlier in L.A. when that first happened. Right. But by the time, you know, we went to see this movie, I hadn't been to many movies in years. And this was like... 
you know, like wood trim and like this, that, <laughs> or that. and uh, it was a whole thing. And, and it was a Wednesday at like eight thirty. Nobody was there. Uh, <coughs> like nobody was there, right? Because people don't go to the movies that much, and it was in a weird place. And we sure. were born, born, been out for twelve weeks or whatever. And it was so much like being at freaking Hef's house. <laughs> That I said to my wife, uh, like, wait, 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 what are you get away with here? People, a couple other people showed up, but that was literally the vibe that I had. Was like, this is different. This is not the movie. And of course, like when you're a teenager, you put your arm around this and that. Right. But it's a crowd of movie. Like this is this felt like somebody's bedroom. Really, it is unique. I mean, it's it's it has evolved too. I'd love to go to a drive-in again. How many drive-ins did you guys go to as a family? Like, I, we didn't go to many, but now I'd love to go just to try it out again. It might be awful. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, why do people do this? But I'd love to do it again. And if you years. go, like, we, you know, but we go on, like, family trips and stuff like that. So we were, like, yeah. driving through Central California and, like, some random town. The smaller towns that have the drive-ins. I think yes. great. Yeah, in California. My wife's from San Jose. And Amy well, was like, warm. Right. Yeah, that's exactly. It's weather plays a big part in it. So, two more. So, what... I know that you're very much a live in the moment, that you're doing this, you're doing that, or whatever. Yeah. But you are now the guy... Added top market, right. making your six figures. It's happened. Right. So what? You know, like, well, my lifelong ambition was right for Sports Illustrated. Cool, that happened. <laughs> okay, now what? So what's your now what? Right, keep fooling them as long as I can. <laughs> this is the ultimate dream. I want to work at ESPN for 30 years. Oh! All right, I want to get to like 62. What do they give you? I want to just get like... 60 months years? Sure. Whatever the hell it is, I don't care. Watch, I'll, I'll watch. take it. You see this watch? This watch costs more than you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you've been restrained, by the way. You haven't really done You're right, I haven't, I haven't dropped too many for you. So I'm like, you know what? Because I have three boys, so I've done the math. I'm like, all right, Shaz De Niro will be graduating. Okay, so I'll have enough money. Like, my only <laughs> get the kids through school. I'm like, all right, wedding after that, we'll figure it out. And then I'm going to move to Hollywood. Oh. And I want to be an extra. Really? Because <laughs> I'll have a I'll, 57 year old extra? Yes. That's my dream. <laughs> then, then I will have done it all. I said, listen, I was a sportscaster at ESPN, the biggest, the best, the brightest. And then I went and fulfilled my other dream, my other itch, when I became an actor. And I wouldn't need to do it for the money. I wouldn't be some starving artist. I'd be like, yeah, I'll just take that big part, 15 bucks an hour, do it for the day. Like, I'm just the bailiff. Like, I'm man in trench coat. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> right? Because if you're not doing it for the money, I would just be doing it to be on film sets, soaking up film culture. I'm like, hey, that guy, wouldn't he just be on ESPN? And I would hope I'd have enough cachet... That at least my agent could like, yeah, I can get you roles as a sportscaster. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that could lead to, again, bit parts, something. Like a corrupt uh, police chief. Yes. Just a, just a squirrely... Uh, you love movies. Right? Like, it's just, it's... My whole thing is escapism. I love sports and movies because it gets yeah. me out of my own brain. I really wish that I could have turned down the Brockmar thing and given it to you. <laughs> well, the you good go thing... You me all day. No, but it was great. You were hilarious in it. The Thank best, you. That was an ad-lib, right? When Brockmar sees you. Because his area... You go, hey! And he goes, you gay? I don't remember who you are. I was like, we've known each other for five years. Or <laughs> I think it was mostly an ad-lib. I, I, they, they didn't tell me exactly what to say. Yeah. But it was more the inflection. Like, like that. Like, I made a right. face. But that whole scene was great. I remember asked Kirchin, and he goes, listen, man, it was two days. It was funny. Was His it? thing was ad-libbed. Yes. He said lentil. lentil. 100%. And I asked him, and he goes, well, I kind of knew what I was saying. And I asked his area, he goes, oh, BS. He goes, he screwed up, and he called it lentil. And the obviously we kept it because it was so it was funny. So but it was just such an eclectic crew. And I said that to Hank. I go, like, you got genuine baseball people. You had Jonah, you had Tim, you had Brian Kenny, you had Joe Buck. I'm like, those are the baseball guys. That's right. Like, it was, like that actually lent authenticity to it. That it show was hysterical. The fact you were on that. Such a good show. 
It's like being on one of the. I mean, that's one of the better shows. Hysterical. The fact that Hank and then he came to it's a dirty show. Oh yeah. Oh my god! Like like (laughs) from scene. Like whoa. Yeah. Like wow. It's just I'm not. You know, like there aren't that many shows that go that far. Right. Not because of qualms or whatever, but it's just hard to do. Honestly, it's hard to do good comedy that way. Right. But it's IFC. It's a different outlet. Hey, shoestring budget. Let's just get this thing done. Yeah. When Hank came to ESPN, talk about pros pro. Oh he knew everyone's name. Oh, yeah. He name checked every. And, and when he first walked in, he goes, "Hey, Adnan, how are you?" And went right to his notebook. I'm like, "What?" Are you? And like, he had notes like on each guy. To Rosillo, he said, "He was like, yeah, why do you?" And he was doing it as Brockbar. Like, why do you spell your name R Y E? And what's that all about? To Canal, he was like, "Oh yeah, Florida State. I remember you back in the day." To Gola, like, "Hey, you used to be fat. What happened to you?" Hey, Greedy. <laughs> hey, Greedy, you've never changed. You look like Dick Clark. I'm like, this guy brought it. I'm like, he knew more of the people interviewing him than the host. I'm like, that's impressive. He should teach, Hank Azari should teach car washes to people. Like, this is how you do the interview. Because you know what? The amount of people are like, man, that guy was good. Like, I felt live. He was great with Trey Wingo, Schleff, all those guys. Like, he, you walk out of there and you go, that guy knows what he's doing. He's an underrated talent. I completely agree. And here's the thing. And I stole a couple of questions you asked him. Because you asked him about Magic Time. I listened to your podcast where I interviewed him. Yeah, yeah. So then I asked him about Jack Magic Levin. Time, which he said, yeah, Lemon said every single time. Yep. He said under his breath, it was annoying, it was an OCD thing. And I also stole another question from you. I can't remember. The, 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 the Magic Time for sure. I wanted to talk Simpsons, and I wasn't sure how much. And then I heard yours, and you went into it a little bit. So I was like, all right, I can ask him about it. Yeah, yeah. My point to him was, I'm like, listen, I get some people don't like it. but And this was your best point. Now I remember it. Because you said once you've done it, you can't change it. So at that time, if it was acceptable, now they oh, go, the hey, Apu thing. Yeah, and they yeah. go, hey, the accent is, is uh, you know, offensive. You, you can't go back there. That's how Apu talks. We've got to stick with this thing. Yeah. And he told that story about Robin Williams doing that old Jewish guy. Yeah. He used to kind of bug me. But then I was like, you know what? There's other people playing Jews or doing Jewish actions that are more accurate. You know what I mean? There's Mandy Patinkin doing Yiddish theater or whatever. He goes, to get over it. And, that, and I said to him, I go, Hank, I thought you did a service to Indian Americans, South Asians, Pakistanis, et cetera, because I'm like, we used to have a store. So I'm like, when I saw there was an Indian shopkeeper, I'm like, oh, that's like my dad. And I'm like, the accent was broad, you know, maybe offensive to some, but I took it as a source of pride. That's the first brown character on network television. Like, we made it. We got one of our own here. Like, that's the whole, that's when you break through. Even if it's offensive, you go, no, but there's one of us on there. There's representation. So I said to him, I go, I, I always took it as a badge of honor. I love Apu. And I go, I think he's one of the smarter characters in the show. He's hardworking, got like 10 kids. Yeah. And I think Hank was, like, genuinely touched. He was like, because I think he's taken a lot of heat to pull. That's, he has, and it's hard to not ask him that. Right. By the way, the thing about what you said about the notes and all that, yeah. is Hank the most prepared person in the world because he wants people to like him and he wants to execute, or is he just a sweetheart and the hardest? Who cares? It doesn't matter. That's a good point. It's the same thing. Right. Is he just selling Brockmire, or is he same, just a good dude? Who cares? Same as Trudeau, same as anything else. It makes no difference. You came away with a positive impression of Hank that was earned because he tried hard. Did you try hard for cynical reasons? Did you try to... I believe it's genuine, <laughs> but it makes no difference. Right. Just be good. Right. Just It doesn't matter why you're good. You right. want to be good because you're rich? Be rich. Just right. be good. I gotta get out of season two. I think I made enough inroads with him when I was a kid. There's anything for And it this is happen. my thing. I don't want to play me. I want to do like something just like some depraved pervert or something like yeah. that. would be great. I, well, that's a higher honor than... I mean, like, I liked playing right. myself or whatever, but yeah. yeah. No, he said... I asked him, I go, how are... Because I go, these are all my buddies. How they do? So oh, they're all good. And he goes, you know... Right, it was he incredible. Goes, yeah, right? He goes, Those are stupid. He goes, Buck's really good. He goes, like... Buck was in two episodes. He's like... And he's at the urinals. <laughs> like, he's being natural. <laughs> he's like a good actor. Hank goes... They put I us in position to succeed. We had three lines. Joe's doing big things. Yeah, he said, like, I don't know how much range he has, but doing that... Buck was genuinely a good actor. 
Like Joe Buck could be an actor if he wanted to be. The whole scene when they're doing the like fake fight thing, right? They did seventy-two takes or something. Each one was good. I watched them all. I was in the periphery of the scene. That's something that Kirchin told me. He goes, and you probably noticed this as well. He goes, you know, he goes, Hank is doing like scene after scene, line after line of dialogue. But it never has to be one perfect take, because they take part of one, yes. take part of two. And he nice, changes the dialogue. And they change it to mix it up a little bit. I'll give you a different look here. I'll go, I'll, I'll hit the inflection here. He goes, for us, he goes, it's just one take. And as long as you nail it, you're fine. And he goes, it's a different skill set. But Tim goes, I, he goes, I don't think they could do what we do. I don't think, like, he said, I saw Amanda Pete in one scene. It was with Brian Kenny. She had to see the sabermetrics. He was yeah, she had yeah. a tough time doing it. And at one point, someone had to, like, hold up the card to do it. And, and credit to her, like, no vanity. Like, whatever, just hold it up for me. I'll kind of cheat. I'll do yeah, whatever. Yeah. And he goes, like, Tim was like, oh, my God. Like, how could you not know it? But they they probably would have a tough time doing what we do. We'd have a tough time doing what they do. Like, the, the pages of dialogue actors memorized, I have no idea how they do it. They that did stuff. the eight episodes in, like, 20 days or something. Like, right. Lightning pace. Stupid pace. Like, she doesn't have time to dwell on the... What, there's right. no way. Right. She's carry the show. She's the second protagonist on the show. Right. Yeah. It's fascinating. It was really cool. Um, all right. So now we've reached the end. We've reached, <laughs> we've reached the big moment where we have the Adnan Burke life tip. <laughs> the Adnan Burke nugget of wisdom. The Adnan Burke that I meet you at a bar and you give me a coffee crisp. And I love, my, my favorite part of this is when you use the preamble because you always go, it can be something fun or something light or if it's something serious. Like whatever you want it to be. Yeah, you, yeah. you always give like to Rosenberg. Oh, it can be something fun. Be light, well, because I don't, like, I don't always want it to be well... When I was in the depths of hell and But man. most go serious. Not many go light. Oh, I still love Trey Kirby with a Cinnabon at the airport. <laughs> it's the best. I'm, try- I'm almost, like, I'm saying it almost on purpose to get something out of it, but, I, you know, right. I understand that people want to be genuine or whatever, and, and, and genuine often is, reflects as serious, and that's okay. Sure. Yeah. Learn people's names. Oh, yeah! Okay, it's the easiest thing. The amount of people I meet that are like, what's that guy's name? Hey, buddy, hey, dude. And I'm like, you know what? There's nothing wrong with asking. I'm pretty That's good. what I was going to ask you. What if you didn't ask the first time? You thought you had it. You didn't ask the first time. You see them. Is it okay that's the second time? Is yeah. it okay that's the third time? At what point are you like, you're addressing me on the eighth time? What are you doing? I have a lot of flaws. One of my better attributes is I'm very good with names. I am not. Yeah, you're not great. <laughs> Joey Galloway, Danny Kelly, we do college well together. Every time Galloway would say, like, you know, Camera operator said, "What's his name?" And he was always like, "Ask Adnan." One time, I didn't know. He was like, "Oh my god!" He goes, "Wow!" He goes, "I can't believe we found it." He goes, "Galloway would laugh." He goes, "I go to the cafe with you." It's ridiculous. He goes, "Like every guy walking by, like, hey Billy, hey Jimmy, what's up? Hey yeah. Steve, what's up, man?" Yeah, yeah. And he goes, "And I said, well, this is what it is. When you meet them, don't be so self-absorbed. Just look, Jonah, Jonah. Repeat it in your head. Nice to meet you. Make eye contact and try to remember one thing about them. Like John Fisher always makes fun of me. Fisher's always like, "Yeah." He goes, "Guy would walk in the green room and always be like." Hey, Johnny, what's up? Oh, how about those Giants? Oh, crazy. Oh, hey, have some food. Have some coffee. Yeah, yeah. Because you know their name, you know their sports affiliation, you offer food, and like that's, that's guaranteed. That's all you need. And he goes, that's all you need. And he goes, but the fact you remember those things. God, this is such a good tip. That's enough to be likable. Because, you know, I, God bless I have some people like, oh, I met somebody tonight. He was like, yeah, because your reputation in the industry is like, you're just a really nice guy. And I'm like, oh, well, thanks. But I'm like, I think it all comes down to just learning someone's name and learning one thing about them. That's it. And then the next time I meet them, I go, hey, remember, you're a huge fan of this. I go, oh, you remember that? I'm like, of course I do. How would I not know that? And, okay, so now back to, if you forget, I did this recently. I'm like, Mike, the social media guy walked in. I go, hey, I don't believe I've met. I'm, and, oh, by the way, here's another big one. Always say your name. Never assume they know who you are. If, like, if I use pin, they probably know me. No, no. I walk up, hey, I'm sorry, I forgot. You know, I, this is what I do. Hey, I'm sorry, I, I don't know if we've met. I'm Adnan. And then the one time the guy, this was recently on social media, I'm, I'm like, Mike, he just goes, yeah, we, we met for it. It's like, Oliver, whatever. I'm like, oh, okay. 
And he comes kind of like, like, you kind of make a face. And I was like, well, you know what? I, I could have not said it and then just asked somebody else, Hamel Richard, what's that guy's name again? And then said it. But I'm like, it's better to be upfront about it. There's nothing worse than if you're fighting to remember the guy's name and you're asking everybody else. And I'm like, no, I'll just come out and ask. And, and, and I'll say it. Sorry, I forgot. Like if they said, oh, dude, we met last week. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Just, I, I won't, and by the way, I will not forget it then because I'm so embarrassed and ashamed. There's nothing worse than forgetting the name, but there's nothing better than remembering the name. You see the look on the person's face. Remember oh, yeah. Vincent Peale, Power Positive Thinking. Of like his 10 things, how to be well-liked by people. One of them is remember people's names. There's no softer or no sweeter sound to a person than hearing their own name. The other thing is, when you do it that way, when you say, I'm Adnan, sorry. Right. Not always, if it's, you know, right. Mike Schmidt or whatever, that's one thing. <laughs> I don't know why I came up with Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt. But in the case, well, Mike Schmidt, out of the whole record. If you're talking, about, what is if you're talking about a PA, yeah. I, I don't necessarily believe this, but in general in life, it's perceived that you have more status than the PA does. So you're bringing yourself down a bit by saying, I'm Adnan, because every person would say, of course you're Adnan, you're on television, I know exactly who you are. Right. But you're not playing it off that way. And if I forget somebody's name, by the way, it's not because I'm big-timing them or whatever. Yeah. It's literally because I know Paul Canerpo's batting average to the 25th <laughs> decimal point every year, and my head cannot absorb a lot of stuff because of Paul Canerpo. Right. But my point is, if you make an effort, everybody can improve at it. And I learned it. And Peter, the way to make an effort is to is to have the pneumatic, is to know that they're a New York Giants fan. And saying your name, I learned that from Gino Reddit, TSN. Because when I first met Gino, he goes, I don't, I don't believe we've met. I'm Gino. And I'm like, of course I know you're Gino. Right, right, right. right. But, but I was like, I never forgot that. Like, he didn't assume that I would know. I was like, hey, I'm Gino. And then just one quick question, right? So you first meet a guy, hey, I'm Adnan. Hey, Johnny. Nice to meet you. Where are you from, Johnny? Syracuse. Oh, okay, cool. Big Orange fan? Oh, yeah, I love Bayon. He's awesome. Sick, sick. Been over here for a while? Yeah, I've witnessed this, folks. I've right? Seen just just, just a couple quick comments, man. Really? I like that you immediately McCoyed me. You're like, yeah, you're right. You're not that good. <laughs> I'm not the worst. I've seen it because you, you just, uh, thanks, buddy. Thanks, dude. I'm like, no, no, come on. You can, you can work a little hard. You're not the worst. Sometimes I do say buddy, buddy. Like I do, like somebody, I call people buddy. No, that's fine. But my point is, like, when, when people, people use different... Yeah, no, of course. No, of course. Like, All right, buddy. Good to see you. I'm like, that's ah, BS. You forgot your name. I'll tell you something. Yeah. Fine with women. Fine with people of color. Every way to listen. <laughs> They're all the same, and not only that, not only that, I don't know what anybody. Here's the biggest thing that I'm terrible at: it's yeah. not names, it's yeah. not faces. It's what people do for a living. Forget about ESPN or whatever. Sure. If I just if it's somebody at a bar or cocktail bar or whatever, it's somebody it's a friend of friend or whatever. Right. I'm a software developer. Anyway. Oh, what's what's Bob's deal? No f-ing idea. Is he the president of the United States or Rod Carew? No. <laughs> then I don't know who this person is. No idea. Supply chain management, right. management consultant, man- whatever, hedge fund manager, right. no idea. Zero. Uh, to your point, here's, Terrible. Another, thing, here's another conversation killer. I don't They're understand. all white dudes with generic jobs and offices. <laughs> I don't know. Too many white dudes. Get rid of 20% of the white dudes, please. I don't understand when people are always like, how's your job going? Like, I, I never find the interest from either side. If the person who says, how's your job going, I don't think they really care. And the person answering it doesn't seem that interested either. No, it's not a good conversation. It's a terrible, and I have it all the time. I feel like, how's your job? I'm like, how do you think it's going? I don't know. It's fine. Like, you don't know the people I know. If you and I are talking about it, that's different. You go, how's everything going? I'm like, oh, I can tell you about all the people that we yeah, know. We have that common out. Shared experience. Exactly. When most people do it, it's brutal. That's why you should talk about sports, movies, politics, whatever, because that is just something interesting. You know what? Names, man. I, I'm going to do it. You know, and you can cheat a little bit. Celebrity softball today, like, I, I remember the faces. Didn't say the name right away. Like, I walked, hey, good to see you again. And then 10 seconds later, someone said, hey, Leah. And I'm like, yeah, Leah, got it. Booked. Right? It just forces you to be more present than mindful in general, which I think those are good traits to have anyway, just to kind of right. be aware of your surroundings. Where am I? What is going on? What's, right. 
I love people that are constantly using your name in conversation. Lafonso Ellis is unbelievable. Like he's constantly Lonzo saying my Ellis, name. NBA Jam hero. Oh my god! Every time it's like, it's, you know, Kevin Hart made the joke of comedians in cars getting copies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, the guy that's always using your name, it just sounds like a salesman. Like, well, the thing is, Jonah, this car, the way it's built specifically, but Lafonso, Lafonso is all the time. So I was like, I the thing is. And I'm like, I'm right here. Like, who else would you be talking to? But that's like, that's only people, normal people don't do that. That's like famous people do that. Famous people who are good at that do that. I've never had a normal person who makes $50,000 and works in an office do that. Never. It's it's always somebody who has status. It's a a politician, it's an athlete or whatever. Because I remember when I first met Sut, he made me feel like a million bucks. Like, I was like, this is a big name. Because Sutton. he knows what he's doing. And I walked in. I remember he had a big smile. He's like, hey, man, great to meet you. And he said, hey, I mean, great to meet you. He goes, hey, man, I'm thrilled to be working with you. I blew me away. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's the best ever. Like, that's Rick Sutton. And then afterwards, someone said to me, he's like, hey, Sutton really likes you. I'm like, he does? <laughs> he turned to a 12-year-old, so insecure. Like, he likes me? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, oh, my God. I'll do anything for him. I'll buy him dinner tonight. You need to have the social acuity and skill Right. That somebody who's famous has without being famous. Right. Here's another one. Always treat people who have no discernible impact upon you the same as you would treat those who have a Oh, of a thousand percent. Like, this goes to the waiter stuff. Exactly. Right? That, that I'm pretty good at. Yeah, absolutely. That's a Canadian thing. Because I never, Canadians are just, service industry, people are like, oh, that waiter sucks. I'm like, you know what? Also, I worked in food service. It's garbage. I'm about to say, if you've done it, I worked at McDonald's two and a half years ago. I chopped off two of my fingers working at the orange tulip in Montreal. <laughs> you got a scratch at this car accident, but apparently you cut off two of your fingers. So I did. I can still see my fingertips. You can see, right there, yeah. It's the worst. People go, oh, that waiter's, I'm like, have you ever, have you ever done that? Have you ever waited tables? Like, you tell me how much fun that is. Like, I, it could be bad service. They could be rude to me. I'm like, I'll still give a 20% tip. Like, I, it's a brutal job. Be respectful. no money. Right. You get all the time. It's awful. Customer service, all that stuff. I can't go shopping because when I walk in a store, I feel compelled to buy something just like out of sympathy for how lousy retail is. Yeah, that's <laughs> but it's brutal. Like, I can't, I'm like, let me just buy some boxes. I don't even need to buy Let me just do it because I feel bad. i got to get a sale. Like, if they start talking to me, I'm like, I, the guilt overcomes me. Can I just you in this Maserati? Yeah, I'm like, oh, God, you're going <laughs> to make it too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but think about it. Please, thank you. Really appreciate it. How, how easy. Please, thank you, yes, but it's names. i got to get names. Names, I'm telling you. It's a and life And the problem is, in, when this industry, we just meet a lot of people. It's just, we just do. Right. Ryan Staloff, PM Baseball tonight. He said to me last week, he goes, man, I'll never forget the fact you knew my name. I was like, what? He goes, I've been here like two weeks, and he said, the fact you knew my name, I was like, it blew me away. Then he found out I was an incorrigible prick. But ah, <laughs> true. But I fooled him initially. Such an incorrigible prick that we talked in your room until 2 in the morning after you worked. Now, how long was know, this, hour day. We didn't overmin it, but we came uh, really close. See, that's a fail. <laughs> I wanted to go 2 and a half. But you know what? I think we're going to keep it as one episode, which will make it the longest episode in any format, whether it's as an indie, at Grandland, at Nerdist, or CBS. It'll be the longest episode in history of John Carroll. Really? Yeah, I've never done one episode for this long, no? I think that's going to be the biggest take. If you're going to tweak them, man, that was, there were some serious things. Dark moments. Do. How about Carrie's <laughs> driving that car accident? I really like the fact that we were talking for two hours and 15 minutes. We still haven't finished, and now we're doing director's commentary yeah, and then, on the podcast, and we're still in. No, that's my favorite part of it. I like to reflect now on it, because if you turn it off, I'm going to do it anyway, so might as well just do it on the podcast. I think people are going to talk most about your accident and the fact that you bared your soul. I, I do that, though. That's good stuff, though, man. Like, that's not, you do not find that with everyone. I, I well, didn't do it. I chickened out. I, I, there are certain things like I won't get. I won't get too far down the road with like what's my home life like or what. It's just sure. not. It's right. not bringing other people in or whatever. But right. uh, oh, let me ask you that one. Yeah, I struggle with this one. I think I know you're a great dad. You send yes. out cards, the family and stuff. Like it's really like That's sweet pictures. Life, yes. and, yeah, but it's really sweet and it's thoughtful. And you got yeah. you're engaged in their lives. Thanks. But you and I don't spend a lot of time talking about our families. 
No. So I always feel, I remember one time, <laughs> Kara Dangerous, she works at ESPN, she's awesome. But she was like, you know, you don't talk much about your kids. And I'm like, well, I don't think it's of interest to you. She says, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I remember when I was single. Single people cannot relate to being a parent. It's, it's the best, but they have no relationship. So I don't, I don't want to bore them. Like, I don't think it's interesting to them. Now, if someone asks me, how's your family doing? Again, I'll be quick and polite, and I'm yeah, appreciative. Yeah. Like, especially after a child's born, anybody who says, how's the baby doing? I'm like, I, I will follow it away. Like, that was nice of them, because I know that they probably don't really care, but they're being genuine yeah. and thoughtful. Because now I feel like I'm like... <laughs> If I get hit by a bus tomorrow, people will be like, oh, yeah, he really loved movies a lot. Oh, yeah, he's a big baseball yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think they'll be like, no, no, he's a real devoted family man. Like, I'll be, I mean... Like, my wife would go on like, no, That's the most kidding? important thing. Right, he got up every day with the kids. He'd, he'd, he'd work till two in the morning. He would take them to school. That's the point of working till two in the morning. Right, like, he was always with the kids because he'd always make the effort because he realized how much he worked. He was always did all these little things. Like, look, the people around me, I think, that no one loved me know this, but I, I have this insecurity now that I'm like, should I be doing more of that? But I'm like, again, to what you just said. It doesn't come natural to me to huh. expose that part of my life. I like talking about the kids' quirks. They're really interesting people. Right. My son is a lunatic in a lot of the same ways that I am, and I right. find that funny. And it's like, people say, like, even if they ask a perfunctory question, I might not go that far down the road. Sure. About, oh, they threw, a, you know, they threw a fit here. I won't get into the negative stuff. I've lost it over. But I will talk about that they're, in what ways they're loons because it makes people laugh. So, right, again, but you're thinking entertainment value. Yeah. I'm not thinking about... He had a really hard time, and then I hugged him, and then it felt bad. Which that's right. that's the most important part of my life by far. No question. By far, like there have been times like I've had you know just struggles with my kids' behavioral issues. Like it, it's nagging at my soul, and I'm like that's all I'm consumed by. But I would never think to tell anybody because I'm like, well, it's just private. I think it depends on the level of your friendship. Right. But yeah, to your point about I think if you mean like of opening up publicly, they say I can open up right as a media guy. About you and I do not tweet pictures of our kids. We're not saying tonight's never concerned. like never that's no. Like, we would never do that. And I'm like, people are like, well, why don't you? Like, you should do that. I'm like, well, why? I don't, like, it's my family. I think I'm following other people's leads, too. Like, I, I look at how people higher profile than me that they don't do, they don't they often will not mention their names or whatever. Right. I don't, that I don't mind as much. Some of it is like a privacy thing and like, well, what if there's a lunatic and whatever? I don't yeah. really worry too much about that, but. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, you know, I, I, I think that, that there's a certain part of people that just like, make with the joke, Shecky. Like, that's, I'm there for a certain. <laughs> I think even the fact that I get to do a podcast and, 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 and extrapolate and all that stuff is, is an advancement over just give me Paul Canerco's batting average. Like, I'm already privileged to be this far. Right. Maybe I won't burden them anymore. Like, this is as far as I'll go. But I'm just saying, does it not not you that the vast majority of people have no idea who the real Jonah Carey is? Oh, the biggest. Unrepentant. <laughs> <laughs> Unrepentant. Blitz. Um... I think that if you have a read on somebody's personality, you can get a little bit of a feel for what kind of parent they are. I think that I probably come across to people as, like, fairly nice. Right. And silly. Right. And fun-loving. That's how I am as a dad. Right. Now, I, there are emotional coping mechanisms and stuff. Like, I was, I had some trouble as a kid. I was very, because of this, you know, like, I'm all fired up. That's, I've, I've channeled it into something positive. I, I had a hard time about it before. Right. So, as a parent... I have a child who's wired that way, so I have to work with him at that to be like, it's okay. Like, no yeah. matter what, we love you. It feels like you're tripping out. That's just your natural. You have a lot of energy or whatever. You'll get through that, whatever. Right. That I don't, well, now I've just gotten into it, but, um, yeah. But, but I think the broad strokes are there. Like, it's, right. it would be weird if, like, you were a real, like, I'm not saying this is good or bad, but if you sure. were a very big authoritarian dad. Yes. Because that wouldn't strike me as your personality. doesn't mean it's bad. Right. It just would be different. Yeah. I think people can kind of figure it out. Yeah, that's true. Do you read books about parenting? 
My brother's one of the best dads I know. He's got four kids. My nephew's needs to so, go read books, but pretty much, should I be doing that? Adele is a uh, child psychologist. Right. right. So she, what we try to do, we've had other friends who are um, new parents, right. and we'll kind of, she will recommend them books on parenting and stuff like that. So uh, oftentimes I've like, like when, when we were having ours, she read a bunch, and she's like, if you'd like to, you can take a look at this and that. So I'll, I'll take a look. Right. Uh, but I can't say that I'm doing it now. I think it was more. I think people have a tendency to do more with the baby stuff. Like what? Yes. I don't want to break this child. Not how, what are the coping mechanisms we're dealing with a 12 year old who's getting hormonal? I don't know that people read that much about that stuff. But I'm sure Angel will tell you. Like I see some studies. They go well. Like 90 percent of the child's personality or intelligence is formed by the time they're five. And I'm like, oh my god. It's also genetic. Unless the environment is really bad, right? You're pretty much inheriting your temperament from whatever you're. Combination. Yes, and that kills me. Like, I'm like it's nerd. It's oh, largely oh nature. God. Like, I'm impatient. I have a bad temper. Like, when I was a kid, I had like, oh my god, I'm getting all like, I'm focusing on the negatives, but I'm like, that breaks me up. There's nothing I can do. But about. you got over that stuff, and so will your kid. And my kid might have some difficulties like I had, but they'll right. get over it and they'll be fine. One of the best attributes you said, the best explanations of yourself, you once said, I never forgot it because I'm like, I'm kind of like that too, and people would be shocked if you and me doing this. Yeah. You said. People just assume that I'm an extrovert because I talk a lot, but I actually talk a lot because I'm kind of shy. And I was like, that's a great... Nobody would ever get that. I'm like, yeah, that totally makes sense because I'm like, I don't like when it's too quiet because I'm just like, I don't, you know... Yeah. Maybe I'm talking too much to overcompensate, but at the same time, I'm not... Like, people are always shocked. They're like, you're more introverted than I thought. I'm like, well, yeah. Like, two of my favorite things to do is watch a movie by myself in an empty theater read read a book. book. Like, I love doing that. I'm like, if I was this crazy extra, I'm like, I, you know, I love people. I love my family, of course, but I'm like, I love, I love, Jeffrey Tambor's book I read, he goes, I love being at a party with a lot of people and then being by myself. And I'm like, yeah, I love that. I feel very comfortable around people that I know to the point of, like, extreme extroversion. Yeah. If it's a place that I don't know, I don't know where to go. Like, right. I don't, and, and, you know, like, when people ask me what I do in that situation, I'm like, not don't really know people. I'm like, oh, I'm a writer. What do you do? Oh, I do some stuff. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't really talk about it. Right. So. Like, that's anathema to me, to be like one of these social parties and gatherings. Like, oh, I can't do that crap. Hey, what do you mean? You're on TV. You're talking. I'm like, no, I don't want to do that stuff. But if I'm like, people I know, my buddies, you're right. Then family, of course. Then it's. No, but shit. even if it's like an event, like if it's an event where I have to be on, I'm very good at being on. Yeah, like there's the pitch talks kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. me and Azari on the stage. And that's flipped the switch. Come up to you that's after. Yeah. I'd like to do it for six hours. But Todd Grisham once said to me, he goes, I'm great in front of 500 people, but if it's five people, yeah, I struggle. that's right. And I think that I can tell 20 people would be the number, but yeah, for me anyway. But yeah, that's right. Right, larger group, like I can play like crowd, blah, 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 but like it's two, three people. I'm like, oh God, this is awful. Yeah. Chris Hardwick, I mean, my former boss, he's right. an extreme introvert. Right. You know, theaters, arenas, he's a huge, he's on television, hosts gigantic shows, extreme right. Extreme. And people don't get that. They go, no, if you're on TV, you've got to be like this. I'm like, no, I don't know. I never understood that. It's not an act. It's just tapping into a different part of your personality. Right. But I most worry, some people it is an act. But I worry for some people, if you start to lose your identity a little bit, you're like, I'm supposed to act like this, so I still act like that, but I don't actually, I'm not, I'm not that. Hmm. You become a thing rather than a person. This is a bizarre conversation. <laughs> Who the hell is still listening I mean, to this? I mean, If you're still listening, you get Jonah's Expos book, which is awesome. Whoa, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I did agree to this. Um, I, the, the funniest question when I ask you is, so where can people find your work? <laughs> yeah, oh, I, Foxmark. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's nothing offends you more when people are like, yeah, I don't see you much. I'm like, what? I'm, like, I'm on all the time. Like, God, that's one thing you shouldn't be able to. 
just please subscribe to my podcast. I love it. At the part of your pie, you always say at the start, you go, hey, because I started picking that up from you. You always say, hey, go to iTunes, leave a review, give us a rating. That's how we keep yeah. this thing live. Really appreciate Spoilers it. Good, though, yeah. Right. And I'm like, I don't think, uh, you, know, you have to do that. That's, that is exactly what Jonah says. That is your suspect. Yeah, if you like Adnan, quite it was really good. Right. It's an interesting thing, too, because you'll go on, you know, you'll sort of get into it about movies. And something like, you'll have a guest, and sometimes you'll have a few minutes. Right. Like, I'm, you know, five hours of so-and-so or whatever. That's a totally different format. With right. you, it's more like a junk could be like a junket or sure, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still great to get f-ing De Niro or whoever, right? But uh, that's an interesting challenge to like really try to tease out meaning out of eight minutes, right? Whenever when nobody else is even trying. But it goes back to what you're saying about storytelling and like finding the right word, or whatever. I'm like, I'd rather go with stuff that they are not expecting. Like, yeah. Billy Bob Thornton and I, I'm like, yeah, I can ask him about you know Bad Santa too, and I love the original Bad Santa. Sure, yeah. But I'm like, we went to Sling Blade, which is, you know, I think most people have seen Sling Blade. I like them. <laughs> yeah, But I went into The Man Who Wasn't There. I go, I love that. That's a great movie. And Billy Bob, Jonah, opened up was like, he goes, that's actually my favorite performance. Nice! And I'm like, now I got him. Because now we're on the same wavelength. Like, right. I go, you're incredible. But you're not, well, you are trying, you're not trying. I'm trying to impress him a little bit. But you legitimately love The Man Who Wasn't There. No doubt. You couldn't do it if it wasn't genuine. Right, because I go, that character is so taciturn. Like, you're the barber. You're just reacting to everybody. I'm like, how do you do that? Yeah. And he was like, what I do is when it, we call cut, I'm just constantly yapping and extroverting. Oh, and interesting. And then when the cones call action, I go back to being just this recessive guy. I don't understand what they Go mean. watch The Man Who Wasn't There. It's a great movie. I don't understand Daniel Day-Lewis and guys are just like, how do you live that? Yeah, he's incredible. You live like Lincoln for a year. <laughs> you become tall. When he did Bill the Butcher, DiCaprio's, it was nuts. Oh, my God, dude. Because yeah, I see him at the gym, and I'd be like, can I talk to him? I'm like, no, you nope. couldn't. Okay, we kind of look at me. Like, it's like Kershaw pitching if he was pitching every day. Like, stay away. Amsterdam, I'm New York. <laughs> I love gangs in New York. Uh, you're the best, buddy. I, I, I have never... There have been other guests that like, we tried to get together, we have it. There Josh DeMell, been... great. Spaceman. Oh, yeah, well, thanks. <laughs> That's a good movie. Yeah. They play. They cast me as quote Montreal beat writer. Oh, that was great. Big stress. That's literally what it is in the credits. Right. Um, but there, we've been meaning to do this for like. There's yes. never been anybody else where it was, it was. We tried and we just haven't. Right. You were like, I'm gonna. I'll take a flight to Hartford to do this. I'm like, no, dude. I'm like, we'll meet at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm. I'm glad. And um, listen, I know that you're talking about like the devices about like I know people's names. You are truly one of the good guys. No, I appreciate. It. There's no question about it, and, and you're one of the talented guys in the industry. Well, you're not the top five, yeah, but to you're a top. No way. But, but, no, but, yeah. but, but there is... Workman-like. It's both. It's, it's, I think that you you find that mix of what you're good at, and you work at it. And it's 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 impressive, and uh, you deserve all the success in the world, buddy. That's nice of you to say, man. You also make it look effortless. I try my best, I guess. Nobody's waving the flag, bro. Damn. <laughs> Poutine on me. Thanks, man. Thanks, man.